Hey. Rolling! Hey. Rolling! And action. When you read the book, you say, all right, I'm going to make a movie out of this. You know you're headed to some very cold place, and the, the filmmaking itself is going to be an adventure. We were 27 below sometimes. Uh, we were 500 miles north of Vancouver in British Columbia in the middle of winter. We were very fortunate. A lot of the crew was Canadian and had worked in those kind of conditions. And the crew set a wonderful example for the cast in terms of not complaining and being there and, and working through very difficult conditions. We were working through the night a lot of the time. And so just getting out there, you know, you have to gird yourself for that kind of temperature and, and we're making snow or there's real snow. And, and so you have these huge fans blowing on you when it's already sub-zero temperatures. And then you have to act through that. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Sunday, (laughs) and this is episode 166. You know, um, we were talking, and I I just threw it at these guys out of the blue. Typically, it does come out on Sunday, so we just moved it from Friday to Sunday. Maybe we'll actually be on time with releases. (laughs) Right, guys? Possibly. So, (laughs) My My guess is next week you might be saying Tuesday. Well, at least it's not like um, Movie Podcast Weekly where, you know, we don't release things for like five weeks or something. But anyway, just episodes have just disappeared. We, we haven't had any of those yet. <laughs> that's right. That's right. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are Dave Dr. Shockbacker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Dooby Dooby Doo. We got some work to do now. <laughs> oh my. I wasn't expecting that one, Josh. I really wasn't, but I can respect it. So, everybody, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think the listeners have been looking forward to this. I hope so. Maybe they'll lie to us if they haven't. But um, way back a year ago, in fact, it's almost a year ago to the night. It is the same night, basically. Last year, we recorded on January 17th, if I'm not mistaken. And tonight, we're recording on January 16th. And what we recorded one year ago was episode 138, Winter with Stephen King, part one, where we reviewed The Shining and Misery. Do you guys remember that? I just re-listened to it kind of in preparation for this episode to see if there was anything we needed to carry over. And holy crap, I gotta, I'm going to just toot my own horn for a second. I often try to prepare a lot for an episode, mm-hmm. but usually I just fail utterly. Like I have got all these notes everywhere. Yeah. And I've got all these ideas in my head and I forget to cover like half of it. Mm-hmm. And I just, it doesn't work the way I have it planned out. <laughs> yes. But that was one episode where like, I was just like, rattling off de- like details i was like a, our own personal encyclopedia there for 
for nice. that one episode. So I was nice. really proud of myself. I was like, holy crap, this is like when I actually executed the what I had planned to do. And then as I was preparing for this episode, I was like, damn it, this is not going to live up to part one. <laughs> well, little, little does Josh know, and Dave, you can back me up on this. Um, I mean, you're, you're actually like that every episode. You just don't think so. But I, I have people, right. I have people tell me, I'm not making this up. Uh, there was one listener just the other day telling me that you're, you and Dave are both encyclopedias. And then like, for me, it was just kind of awkward cause I was standing there, you know, like, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, step up your game, Jay, you know, like, so anyways, I, I think you both do a great job, but yes, yes. I remember that episode being real, really fun. So yeah. And two and two very strong movies too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, The Shining and Misery. And Misery is one of Josh's favorites. Yes, one of his all-time yeah, favorites. Definitely. And then, so this year, you know, uh, this winter, we wanted to continue that with two more uh, snowbound, winterbound uh, Stephen King movies. And so we have Winter with Stephen King Part Two, when we'll be reviewing Storm of the Century from 1999. And Dreamcatcher from 2003. So, do you guys have any thoughts about um, this Winter with Stephen King theme before we uh, start marching on? I was just thinking how much I enjoy covering Stephen King's work, especially as I get into my research and I start reading what he said about, uh, you know, his original novel or the film adaptation. There's just so much meat on the bone, and we don't always have that when we review horror movies often we do and i feel like we can usually come up with something even if the premise is a little thin but i wow it's just like a treasure trove it's it's an embarrassment of riches when you're reviewing stephen king material life there's there's so (laughs) much there to draw from yeah absolutely i love that you said that josh because this time upon revisiting um storm of the century which you you and i both is one of our favorites um it occurred to me, and maybe I've said this before, I apologize, but Stephen King, there's this depth of horror in his writing. Like, you know how, like if you, sometimes I rent like a, a red box horror movie and I'm very displeased. Usually it'll be like a four out of 10 and just kind of underwhelming or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it just seems like it's so like, um, I, I guess wrote or something or, or something that's been done over and over. Well, I, th- I feel like with Stephen King's stories, like he he delves into the depths of of sorrow and fear. And, and I feel like it's layered with him. Like like there are th- there are things I remember this from my dad talking about Stephen King a lot. There are things that that you can just think about the concepts. And I'm saying merely thinking about concepts in his stories that are haunting <laughs> And kind of yeah. ring with you and trouble you. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Definitely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and so and a real strength at um at not just building like main characters, but like um, I guess we'll be touching on this uh, tonight. But just community. I mean, how 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 sort of uh, mm-hmm. strong he he writes. Uh, even the even the supporting characters when he creates them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that that's his strength. I mean, I was looking at some of the special features on um, Dreamcatcher and he was saying, you know, everyone's saying, how could you write horror? And he goes, I don't write horror. I write people <laughs> and, you know, in this, and put them in situations. And you see that with a lot of uh, at least in, in, in a number of the, the cinematic interpretations of his work. 
Yeah. And and that's yeah. I, I agree with that hundred percent. And um Roger Ebert does too, in fact. He mentioned in in one of his reviews, because I've I, I was perusing the Roger Ebert reviews of Stephen King stuff, and it, it may have actually been Storm of the Century, but he said that um Stephen King has this knack for actually writing a decent drama in the first place. Like, like it could stand on its own as conflict between individuals and then the horror is added in. And, and I think that that is one of the keys to great horror. Mm -hmm. He's also just able to draw on these themes. He, he, he's, even though there's a, a broad similarity to a lot of his work, each story has some very specific element of real life horror at its core that he's drawing upon. And I, and I really appreciate that about it too. They're all very relatable as crazy as the worlds can get. And we'll talk about that here, but especially with like something like dark tower where it's very otherworldly still the very core of all of his stories. There is this humanity and, because it's dealing with those things that frighten us most. And often those are something to do with a familial connection, you know, bullying, you know, again, recurring themes, but different variations on those themes Mm -hmm. in ways that really affect me and kind of like pull at the heartstrings a little bit. (laughs) I think that's interesting because, you know, it's like, I'm always talking about the more you care the more it scares you when bad things happen to these people. And as we talked about on the last Stephen King episode, he, his stories all do have this warmth to them. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, there are good people. There are a lot of terrible people in his stories too, but there, there's also a real goodness in humanity that shines through a lot of the heroes of his stories, the protagonists of his stories. Uh- yeah. I agree with that, and I like that. That's one reason why I love um, Pet Cemetery so much. the The original film it is because there there are so many aspects of horror, and and even we're gonna talk about this momentarily in Storm of the Century. There are lots of horror aspects within that story as well. So yeah, I totally agree with what you just said, Josh. And I also I'm and I'm I promise the audience I'm not getting political whatsoever because I don't I don't like to go into politics on movie podcasts <laughs> but um I've noticed on Twitter that Stephen King is not a fan of uh Donald Trump the president and so I'm wondering if we're going to see some Stephen King backlash you know like where where he's going to materialize some of that angst in in future horror stories of his. I wonder if we'll see Donald Trump type characters coming up. Just, I've just been curious about that. That would be interesting. I'll be curious how he handles that because yeah, he's not shy about sharing his opinions about Donald Trump. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. And anything else you guys want to say um, before we move into our feature review? Well, I just love this, the setting of the coal and the snow. And we've, we've talked about that a lot. And I think maybe now that we're getting through the Stephen King coverage with part two of this episode, maybe next year, this time we can really explore winter set horror b- more broadly, because I just, I love that setting. I think that it adds so much to the stakes, first of all, because you have generally, it adds a survival horror element 
to things. People are cold. There's danger outside. They need to mm-hmm. uh, be aware of the elements. And that, that adds just an additional level of interest to me, but also I just love the visuals and, you know, and the, just aesthetically the snow and all of the things that come with that. So. Especially with blood on the snow, the contrast of the red on the white mm. when that right. happens. Yeah. That's strong imagery. And, and yeah, and there's something about, you know, the death, of winter time, which is the death of, of all things in nature, pretty much. And and so I think that ties in really nicely with the theme of fear of death and horror, just generally speaking. And then also like just getting people out of their comfort zones to where um, you're in a situation, a perishable horror situation where right. perishable predicament, as you said, survival horror, where the longer you're in that particular situation, the more dangerous it becomes. And so, as you said, the, the nature, mother nature, the coldness actually mirrors the threat of the killer as well. And that's kind of cool. And then when the conditions are extreme, as they are, at least in Storm of the Century and, and The Shining, um, two of the four films we've talked about in these episodes, it, you also cannot rely upon things you would normally turn to for safety (laughs) and so that that adds again another additional layer of well the phone lines are down the road is blocked i you know it's below zero outside Mm -hmm. you know there there are all these other additional elements that you can't do what you might normally do in a case like this yeah and, and we we saw in misery and even in storm of the century like um often the cold the winter puts them in the horror predicament. That's right. It's just really That's cool. Right. All right. Well, let's do that. I'm I'm just chomping at the bit to get into Storm of the Century. This is Josh and I, if I if I'm not mistaken, this is one of our favorites. And um man, I, I just can't believe how much I love this film. So let's let's talk about Storm of the Century from nineteen ninety nine. Give me what I want and I'll go away. From Stephen King. The master of your worst fears comes a high-voltage, spine-tingling shocker that's been called one of the best King films ever. You wouldn't think there was a big storm coming, would you? Trouble don't cross the reach, ain't that why we live here? Still, they say this one's gonna be something special. A small island off the coast of Maine is bracing for the storm of the century. Look at this. Now, if neither of the emergency shelter setup can handle 300 for three days. Look at there, the mainland. Can't even see the reach no more. At the heart of the storm is a source of evil that will change their lives forever. Come in, Sid. Come on in. My God. That's all right, Robbie. She's waiting for you in hell. Who are you? Give me what I want, and I'll go away. What's your name? Andre Linoge. He was looking at him like a snake, looking at a bird. What are you doing, sir? You mind telling me? You have something to do with that? Give me what I want and I'll go away. Refuse me and I assure you, I can punish. We couldn't kill him. I don't think he's human. What could he possibly want? He's the devil! Don't let him near me. What do you want, those? That's right. I have a couple just preliminary notes here and then I'll turn it over. If, if Josh, if you want to do the honors of the, the premise, I'll, I'll give you some setup here. So this, this came out, this is interesting. This came out in 1999. Um, it was released originally on ABC. It was a TV miniseries. And what's cool about this, and 
I don't know why I didn't realize this. This was not based upon a Stephen King novel. He wrote it as a screenplay. And in fact, he was trying to figure out um, what medium to like bring this story to life in. I guess he got the idea I read. It was like late 1996, something like that. And then he decided to make kind of a novel for television. And I think that's why we got this this mini series of four hours and 17 minutes. Now, um, just a quick side note on this. Do you guys think um, this film could be done in like a hundred minutes, hundred minute feature film? I do. I mean, I think it's fun. We don't, this doesn't really happen anymore. This doesn't really exist anymore. Something that's meant to be enjoyed over the course of several weeks. We have things like the haunting of Hill house now, which are serialized, but they are intended for the most part to be watched one after the other, you know, the binging mentality. Whereas when storm of the century came out, it was a different world then. People would probably most likely watch this on television for the first time and then wait a week to see part two. And so there is a lot of redundancy within the story that I think you could easily excise. Like when you're watching them all back to back, as I did, I watched basically one a day, three days in a row. Even with that amount of time between them, you're like, well, they've kind of covered this ground a lot. Like, I think we get the concept, but if you imagine right. watching it in the way that it was originally presented, there's something kind of fun about that too. I like, I it's kind of charming in that way. But yeah, I think if you were to say remake this, you could easily do this in a 90 minute story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave, you, do you think you could pull it off in and 90 minutes, 100 minutes? Possibly, but you know, I, I this was a, a first time watch for me, and I just watched the whole thing today. Uh, and I had maybe like about 20 minutes between each episode, maybe a half hour. Uh, oh, wow. And I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, and I understand what you're what you're saying, Josh, and that's very true. You have to go back to a certain degree just to to remind people. And bring them up to speed, um, you know, so so that redundancy at that point was necessary, like you were saying. But I'm trying to think of what I would cut out, and I'm sure there are things that that could have been taken out. But I thought that everything they put in there really helped at least create that sense of community that at the very end is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that I would want to cut a whole lot out of it, to be honest with you. I'm sure there are things that could be, but it, it's that sense of this, this tight knit community and, and building just how, uh, I guess how good people are keeping secrets, how, um, how much everybody knows about everybody else, how very important that was when the chips were down towards the end of the film. Yeah. Well, when this was released on ABC on TV, it actually came out on Sunday, February 14th. It was Valentine's Day, and that was the part one. And then part two was the next day, February 15th. And, and then here's what's weird. I, don't, I would love to know why this is the case. And then part three, the final portion, didn't come out until Thursday, so they skipped two days. Hmm. And February 18th was when part three came out. And I, I'm just so curious to know why that is. Do you guys happen to know, or maybe the listeners could tell us if they remember, 
maybe something that was on. You know ABC. what? It, it could have been. It could have been something. E- I mean, I don't know exactly, but it could have been something easy. Like, okay, let's try to win Thursday night because um, they're going up against stiff competition on other networks. It could have been the decision. Mm. You know, that could have been the decision. Yeah. That's weird. It is interesting though. I remember these TV events from when I was really young that my mom mostly would watch. You know, it would be right. the Thornbirds or it would be <laughs> Roots or something. Right. And I remember yes. as a little oh. kid kind of Shogun. Yeah. yeah. Seeing glimpses of these on TV, not really the North and the South was a big one. Like I remember mm-hmm. the it was kind of like the water cooler talk. Even in, in elementary school, you know, totally. everyone was going to watch it tonight. And that, I don't know. There was something fun about that. There was. Like and that. it was funny because it was my mother who was the catalyst as well. And and there were more of them than, than you know, like the Holocaust uh, was was one that I remember her mm-hmm. watching that they have warnings at the beginning of uh, each episode about, you know, the material and uh, backstairs at the White House and all of these different things that they really were an event. And, you know, we could never finish them. Uh, my brother and I, we would have to get to bed before they were done. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> it was still it was still kind of fun. It was still kind of fun to say, hey, tonight there'll be another one. And, and you know, backstairs of the White House tonight is they're covering the Eisenhower years. And it was just really it was it was really cool. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. And so later th- this did release on DVD on June 22nd, I guess, back in 1999. And I was totally unaware of all that. Actually, the, the way I became aware of this movie was be- through um, my favorite film professor, Dr. Moody, Josh. And uh, oh boy. yeah, he was the one that, that, <laughs> that told us about this. And uh, he described it as he said it delivers the goods. And boy, he's right. It really does. Anyway, this is directed by Craig R. Baxley. And it stars Tim Daly, Colm Fiore. I don't know if that's right, but Deborah Ferentino, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn of Walking Dead fame, right? Um, Casey Seismico and <laughs> I'm butchering this, Julianne Nicholson. And uh, anyways, Josh, why don't you give us a premise now we're a few minutes into it. I just want to make sure that everybody knows what this is about. Well, the first thing I just want to mention that I love about Craig R. Baxley is his filmography is pretty exciting. He's, he did uh, Carl Weathers in Action Jackson, <laughs> and then he moves on to uh, Brian Bosworth in Stone Cold, and then he also has uh, Dolph Lundgren in Dark Angel. So it's pretty awesome wow. filmography there. Yes. <laughs> he just loves these big male action stars. He did stunts on Predator. But it's not at all that kind of movie, so it is interesting that this is, um, you know, later in that in that line of filmography. Basically, what you have is a stranger comes to town. You've got this nice, peaceful village, and as we see in a lot of Stephen King films and, and stories, you have this like Salem's Lot or um, Needful Things. You have this outsider who comes in that disrupts the the piece of what seems like an idyllic location. And in this case, they're on an island mm-hmm. and it's a very tight knit community on this island um, off the coast of Maine. This is also where the Stephen King story, Dolores Claiborne um, takes place as well. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, and um, basically the story starts out with this, like a lot of horror films do, a murder cold open with the this, this stranger. 
and um, this old woman is killed kind of uh, to start off the film. And the man is apprehended, taken to the local, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Is it a police station? I guess it's a police station. It seems like a makeshift police station. It's right. a, uh, like an older, old style police station underneath a a supermarket or a right. pharmacy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he's uh, put behind bars and unfortunately weird things continue to happen. And we have a lot of people taking their own life, taking each other's lives. And he very ominously tells the characters, give me what I want and I'll go away. Mm-hmm. And so we have, these characters i don't know it's interesting they don't really take them seriously at first because at the same time this storm of the century this giant storm is rolling into town <laughs> and so they all these other preparations have to be made uh, in order to weather this storm and they're all holding up together in this community center and they're you know they're trying to make sure there are enough supplies for everyone and he keeps every time someone dies he keeps warning them or, or giving them this message you know, give me what I want. I'll go away. And, you know, finally, and actually at a couple of points, they're like, well, what do you want? So like, what is it that you want? <laughs> yeah. And, great. and, um, and he kind of waits for a long time. I think it's not until halfway through the third installment. And, you know, at least when I watched this, you know, it was still divided into the separate sections. I don't know how you guys viewed it, but I saw it mm-hmm. the same way. Same. Yeah. Three different sections. Same. And so I don't, you know, it wasn't until the very end where we really do find out why he's there. And up until that point, it's a lot of, again, very similar to needful things where we are finding out about the sins of mm-hmm. the people in this town. <clears throat> yes. And, and, and like needful things, he seems to be a demonic force, you know, and, and we get all certainly a lot of clues to the fact that he isn't, human and that something uh, more sinister is going on below, you know, below the surface. So two quick comments on what you were just talking about, Josh. Number one, it reminds, so the premise of this, having just seen this other movie recently, it reminds me so much. Uh, apparently it seems that the traveler, that Val Kilmer film from 2010 mm-hmm. really riffs on this. And that would be an example of a okay. hundred minute movie. That's, that's, similar you got this outsider show up and because of a murder <clears throat> he's uh put in jail you know and and, he, and then he's a weirdo and he's um you know he causes havoc even from behind bars and there's a supernatural f- element to him so all that's really similar and i wondered if they riffed on it but no what you said about they give me what i want and i'll go away that is one of the most impressive aspects to this you've got a 4 hour and like 15 minute miniseries. <clears throat> and the whole thing is built upon that question. It, it forces us to watch. I remember the first time I ever saw it, and I'm curious to hear if Dave had this experience. The first time I ever saw it, I was so curious and intrigued. Well, what does he want? And, and I was driven to finish and watch the entire time so I could see what this dude wanted. And looking at the the viewers, uh, the Wikipedia page has the viewership, and this is pretty cool. On the first night, 
there were 19.4 million viewers. And on the second night, it dropped off for some reason, 18.9 million. But then on the part three, when they find, you know, the answer of what he wants, it's back up to 19.2 million viewers. So, so I, I really feel like this works and works very well because of that. But Dave, what was your experience in that? Uh, were you dying to know what, what he wants? A- absolutely. And, you know, as he was revealing things um, about the town, about how, how, how he seemed to know everybody's little dark secret, um, I'm, I'm going through scenarios in my mind. What does he want? Does, okay, he wants this, or maybe he wants this group of people to do something, or, you know, maybe you almost think like he's the, uh, the grim reaper or something coming in to sort of separate the good from mm-hmm. the bad. You got all these things going through your head. So I was completely taken by surprise. First off, let me say I was completely taken by surprise for the whole film. Hmm. Um, for, I, I knew, I think I'm really now going to be a champion of not watching trailers or anything like that before going into <laughs> a movie, because I do not, I assumed I knew what this movie was going to be about and it went in another direction. Like I didn't even know there was going to be this stranger in this film. I'm thinking the entire movie, like is going to be this, this horror set around the big storm. And the <laughs> fact that there was this other character introduced at the beginning there i was like oh isn't that interesting and yeah. i was tied in just from that at the beginning and the fact that we know this is not an ordinary killer within 10 minutes or 15 minutes just of one shot of the eyes where we know that there's this is more there's something more to this character that it takes them a good you know half of the story to figure out all of that really, I think, added up to a great experience of, of watching this and then just becoming one. Like you, you get you get to know these people so well. And I think that you, you get that more in a miniseries than you can in, in a regular theatrical film just because you have so much time to, to build that. And I was going back and forth between this and Salem's Lot, the other miniseries. Mm-hmm. And as much as Salem's Lot had like these really just uh, horrifying images and horrifying sequences i mean some of the most horrifying definitely one of the great vampire films of all time mm-hmm. yes yeah i think this one did a better job of building that community at least on on this on on the um um you know cinematically i mean i've never read salem's lot so i don't know i can't speak to the book but if you compare the two movies as far as the building the community salem's lot did a did a good job this movie did a great job of building that so yeah. you do actually care about what happens to these people mm-hmm. yeah, it really feels like uh one of my favorite shows it feels like an episode of murder she wrote that's called the sins of cabot cove mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> where you start finding out about all of the indiscretions of all the people in town and that's it was definitely what it, I, I was thinking about during a lot of the show but i think you make a good point it it, it deviates greatly in terms of what kind of film you think it is, even in terms of the actions of our, our main villain, you know, it really takes a big turn 
and becomes a really a different kind of movie. And I think Dreamcatcher does that as well. I think these are two movies that yes. kind of start out in one mode and then go right. in a completely different direction than you would have thought. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I definitely wanted to know what it was he wanted. Oh, uh, back to your question, Jay, I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to find out what it was. And, and I think they start asking him halfway through episode two. Mm-hmm. And he just, that's all he's saying is, give me, and I kept thinking, all right, dude, they just asked you, why are you saying, okay, I'll let you know soon enough. Right. <laughs> but then you find out why, because he, he, you know, he kind of needed that. He needed to get them to a certain point well, before he could present it. Well, do you remember in um, seven and uh, mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm very sensitive and careful about spoilers. And I know I'm certain that probably every single listener has seen seven, but just in case. Um, right. So there's the box at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's, what's, the box? The, the box? Yeah, what's in the box? <laughs> right. And, and you know, you know, as a viewer, I remember when I first saw that. And by the way, I, I, and I think probably everybody realized pretty quickly what was in the box. But anyways, I remember when that very first happened, when there was this box situation, I'm like, whatever is in that box is going to be killer good. Like, it's going to be really severe and hardcore. Right. And and that's what I love about this film, because it could have been, it could have gone a million different ways and been super lame. But as Dr. Moody sa- says, it delivers the goods, because what he wants is is. <laughs> Very, very good. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, so we're holding off on on spoilers, obviously. But are we going to do a spoiler section so we can talk about this more closely? Because I, I, I'd be I, fine with that if you guys want to dig I, in more deeply. I, yeah, I got no problem with that. Yeah, I just worry that this might be um perhaps a lesser seen um, film, and so hopefully you know we can get people to watch we, this. Yes, we definitely have to identify spoilers, you know, this time. Well, we do all the time, like we normally do. We just have to, you know, and uh, but I agree. I don't because I hadn't seen this before. And I really love the experience of of just not knowing Mm -hmm. all that much about it. That made it it makes it it makes it so much more, um, well, rewarding, Uh, you know, by the time it it, uh everything's tied up and you're just like, wow, that was really something special. Yeah. So we'll, for the listeners, we'll continue to talk non-spoiler material and then we'll give you a big warning before we go into the spoilers. So one random factoid that I thought was interesting mm-hmm. is that a couple of years before this, Stephen King had done another television miniseries, which was essentially his remake of The Shining, his version of how The Shining should have gone. And the star of that show was Steven Weber from Wings. Yes. Uh, and, and, and Wings is a show that is about uh, two brothers who run an airline on a, on, a small, on a small New England island of Nantucket. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, King, of course, is from, from New England. And funnily, the star of uh, Storm of the Century, I guess, if there is a, if there is a single protagonist, is Tim Daly, the other brother from Wings. Yes. <laughs> so right. this is two years later. So I, I can really imagine that Stephen King was a big Wings fan, and he just wanted to work with both of these guys. And I'll be, yeah. You know what? For some reason, I remember Wings being put out by Castle Rock Entertainment. Oh, that might well be. That's interesting. Wow, that would explain it. But 
But isn't Tim Tim Daly an exceptional casting choice? I love he's a him. Great actor. I don't know why we don't see him more. I, I don't. Mean, he's yeah. He hasn't been in a he, lot of stuff. But you he's know what? A strong actor. He really is. And I I back in '82 he was in a movie, not horror, called Diner, uh, with a lot of other actors, Mickey Rourke and Kevin right. Bacon oh, and yeah. Gutenberg. And he was tremendous in that, even with all of those other actors. And I think that might have been not his earliest role. And it's Tyne Daly's younger brother, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Daly, and. He was really strong in that movie, so I I always thought he was a, he was a good actor, but in this one, wow! I mean, he this this is the best I've ever seen him. Just a really likable oh yeah guy too. I mean, he, yeah. as a as a leading man, he he really pulls you in. I think, and and they established that very well because first of all, I mean, this begins with some opening narration, and and that opening narration. Uh, and, and I'll just clarify, I think it's cool. We see three, there are three time periods in this film. There's the opening and closing narration that bookend the whole story. And those are nine years after the storm of the century. And then and then there's another um, time period that's like five months after the storm. So that's like in July of 1989. But then the, there's the three-day period of the storm, which is mostly present moment events. And that's February of 1989. And, and the bulk of the film, and that's the bulk of the film, yeah. And so, um, and and we have Tim Daly's Mike Anderson character. He's the constable. Um, we have him narrating, and I love how right in the beginning we have they establish um, a save the cat kind of moment <laughs> because we we see that he's a leader. <laughs> he's the voice of reason. He's calm and clear. He's rational. They listen to him. You know, we got a little girl that has her head stuck between the, the railing. And it's it's a nothing event except to establish that people respect him and he's a problem solver. And that that's just very well done, I think. Absolutely. I will say I did not appreciate the postscript to this film. I felt like it could have just ended at the end of the, the three-day events. For my taste, I thought <sighs> it felt like, oh, this is a weird bookend that they that was left over from the novel. So then to find out that this actually was never a novel at all is funny because it's just like, yeah, this feels like something that would, that would be cut from a lot of adaptations of a film like this. (laughs) Josh, you're making me a little bit sad because I love, I freaking love all the material that's after, you know, the main story. I like it if it had, because I think it's a cool idea if they had developed it more, like they tell you so much about these people's lives after these events. And so I thought, well, let's get into the nitty gritty of this. Why give us this specific detail? If it doesn't have any impact on the story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, but I, yeah, I agree. I like it too, but it, it did. It just felt like a book. It felt like, okay, well I can imagine this was a lot more fleshed out in the novel for <laughs> it made right. more, made more sense. Yeah. There wasn't a novel. <laughs> by the way, real quick, let me just mention wings was not distributed by castle rock entertainment. Oh, okay. I looked it up. They had nothing to do with it. So you blew it. I did. <laughs> That's... I remember that. I remember that logo at the end of certain shows on NBC. And I thought that was one of them. And it wasn't. <laughs> so, cool. So this is, um, <laughs> I, you know, one, one thing that I, I, I mean, there are so many things I love about this. I'm going to try not to gush all night about it, but I do love the pacing of this film, despite the fact that it's four hours plus, but there's a real 
as you guys have said many times, like there's a real coziness and, and they establish the community. But what I love is the constant reminder and reinforcement throughout the entire thing of this storm. There's this magnificent storm happening and, and they reinforce the storm and its severity all the time. So we never forget that, that that's going on. And that really impressed me a and, lot. And what I guess even more impressive is how they managed to take this, this horrible storm in a movie like the perfect storm. Um, you know, obviously a different time of year. That's what this is. This is like two storms converging and, and making this, this monster. It still manages to put that in the background. Yeah. Everything else that's going on. So they have to deal with that. Plus, you know, the, this this even worse event that's happened to this town. Yeah. And I read it's just throwing everything into, you know, not even just chaos. The storm's throwing everything into chaos. But this one is is like bringing the town to its knees. Yeah. I read some really cool shots of the storm. Now, this does suffer from CGI that doesn't necessarily hold up by today's standards at a couple moments throughout. But there are also some really amazing shots that still do work. And I thought, wow, that looks actually really good mm-hmm. still. Yeah. And um, and some practical moments with the storm that look really good. Like there's this uh, shot where the traffic light blows off. I don't know if you remember that shot, but it's really impressively framed mm-hmm. and executed. We're like, whoa, this is the storm has power. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can really feel the ferocity of what's going on outside. Yeah. Right? And, and if it's true, I mean, I read that the budget was only 35 million. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but it, I, it's very impressive. I'm usually, I'm usually hard on made for TV movies, but I think this is passable for sure i I think it does look like a made for tv movie yeah but yeah you get those fades fades to black where you know where the commercials were and right right Right. yeah and just for the listeners in case you're curious this would be um uh, pg-13 rated you know for intense thematic elements and some violence and gore but i mean you know even though it was on tv i i do think it has some some strong horror moments here and there. Yeah. I don't know that you needed anything more than what they showed mm-hmm. in, in this instance. You know, I wasn't thinking, boy, I really wish they went there with that scene or, or anything, because I, I think you, you know, you saw enough to, to set, you know, to, to keep it going. I don't think, I don't think I wasn't wishing that, wow, I'd like to see what they would have done with this outside of those restrictions that you had on television um, and, and you still do with a lot of network television, obviously, <laughs> but I, I, it, it didn't hold this one back for me. You know, it does sometimes this, in this case, it did not. Right. Yeah. What did you guys think of Andre Linoge, um, Colm for, for, or I'm not sure how you say his uh, name. But. He's essentially, you know, the, he's the villain of the piece. Um, I, I'm of two minds because again, this does take a hard turn and I feel like his character changes a lot for me kind of in the last third. And I'm not sure I like the way his character changes in terms of the presentation. How did you, did you are, guys like Andre Linoge? Are you saying um, the way, and this won't be a spoiler, don't worry, but uh, are you saying the way he goes from pretty vindictive and vicious to actually pretty gentlemanly and, and, and respectful? Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're referring to? Or are you referring yeah. to some of the 
he really comes off as this all-consuming evil force to where you think like the character needful things he if he's not the devil he's some other entity similar to the devil he's a demon you know he's he's as evil as as it gets Mm -hmm. maniacal but then he transitions i would say in the last third honestly he reminds me of jeff probst from survivor (laughs) where he's, he's kind of hosting the events and although what he's asking you to do is terrible you kind of accept it because you're like, well, this is the game that we're playing, you know? And it's, it, it did remind me of survivor that way. It was kind of like, look, this is what we're all here for. This is what's going to go down. Mm-hmm. And I know what I'm saying is awful to you, but there's, you know, we all just accept that this is what it is. Now, so it's happening. I'll tell mm. you what, for as a first, as a first time watch um, and seeing what he had done, uh, he was really his entire for me, I th- I felt he he made he was evil throughout the entire movie, even if he was not portraying the evil because of what he was setting up. He had to bring right. the town to its knees at the beginning, and right. at the end, he had to then again. I don't want to let. Maybe we should save it for spoilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to say uh, he, he had, had to build up. He had to build up the trust. I don't think. I mean, you know, and, and they kind of build, they kind of tell you what this character is at some point. They give you an idea of his backstory and what he is. But for me, it was an incredible manipulation of an entire town to get a, to get a goal, to get something you're after. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that he was necessarily... I looked at it that this this was <laughs> this was the personification of evil doing exactly what he needed to, to do to get to the end game. Mm-hmm. And that for me was one of the the strengths of it. I thought he was tremendous in it and played it perfectly. And you even get that in the very, the very last time we see this character, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what you were talking about there, Josh, as far as like a postscript, right? You, you yeah. see that. And I don't think, I don't think he ever was not, the personification of evil i just think it was it was evil controlling the controlling the game board and doing what needed to be done to get to where he needed to be mm. or to get to what he wanted from this community mm-hmm. i don't i don't want to spoil this great horror discussion with too much survivor talk but this is the year before survivor begins on tv and i, I honestly i feel like it might have influenced survivor a little bit because he, it, that show does talk about the gods of Survivor, how there is kind of, you know, to use a Stephen King term, there's a wheel that is turning, and that's going to keep on turning, essentially, you know? And so, and like, we, we are all just players in this game, kind of, is how I feel like this film handles it, which is a very Survivor idea, too. But the reason I thought of Survivor was because of the stone scene. There's a scene where characters are asked to draw stones mm-hmm. and it's a very old way of deciding things. We're told in the film, this is this, you know, this is an ancient form of deciding difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. And they do that on survivor, like all, all the time they, they drew, they, and it's exactly as it's depicted in the film where they, <laughs> they reach in, draw stone. One person has the black rock. One person has the white rock, whatever. And 
that you have to reveal and you know there are high stakes around anyway that's for the I know we have got a couple in the audience. This is for the few, for <laughs> Gray Man and Dino and Juan and David, the, the Survivor fans out there. Yeah. But I do think it was an influence. I, that's my theory. I bet. Well, speaking of that, I think there are lots of things that were influenced, um, possibly, from this very film. Like um, the idea of a, a, mon- a quote-unquote monster or villain afflicting a community. And so half of the deaths and and I don't want to go into spoilers. So like half of the deaths are like, you know, straight up murders. And then the other half is a different kind of a death. Right. And, and we've seen that in a couple of films, um, especially one more recently at where like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I, I wonder about that, the nature of those deaths. And then, and then there's a scene that I think Christopher Nolan took unless, unless maybe this, because I understand that Christopher Nolan um, and, and Jonathan Nolan, that, that those films were also in, inspired by, you know, the, the comic books or graphic novels, right, for Batman with, like, right. the Dark Knight. So maybe maybe Stephen King took it from them. But, but there's, there's borrowing going on one way or the other. But you have a moment where the, the villain character is in jail. And he has, they, they mentioned that he has no tags in his clothing, no identifying stuff. And it reminds me exactly of that scene where, he, where it like, <laughs> uh, Gordon says that the Joker has nothing, nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. And, and the other parallel that he has with the Joker, uh, particularly there, I heard an interview with um, Jonathan Nolan on Creative Screenwriting Podcast where he talked about writing The Dark Knight and how that it that film opens with the joker just standing there on the street holding a mask and it's like he's this devil or tormentor who just materializes out of nowhere out of thin air and that's so much like lenoge so i wonder if if there's like direct correlation or influence there yeah i'm glad you brought that up because there's another trope i wanted to talk about one that for me is so tired in horror films where i just i hear it now and i we heard it very recently in a movie that you just referenced slyly mm-hmm. uh for the those in the know um where you hear these whispering voices oh yeah and they use it a lot in this movie and it's used you know to, it's been used to good great effect for years in many different films but i wondered I wonder where that started and i was this this certainly was not a tired uh horror trope at the time that this film was made but i wonder if it predated this film or not and i was trying to remember the earliest instance of that that i could think of but i i was mm. unable to come up with anything but i think yeah. that's interesting because that is an off used you know has become a cliche but again was used just as recently as this year in a movie that made people's top 10 lists, you know, that's right. And so I'm, I'm curious um, where that comes from. <laughs> Good question. I would be shocked if it, if 1999 was the first time that that had to have been around before I that. I would love it. If our listeners have any guesses, Yeah, <laughs> drop us a line at horrormoviepodcast.com in the comments for this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to do my own research as well, but I would love to know where the, you know, the characters walking around and they're almost hearing voices in their head and it's, I'm almost thinking like maybe in a haunted house movie, like an early, haunted yeah, you house would think it would be in the haunting or something, or something but, but, right? Right. I don't know. But I, I, I don't, don't remember. Know. I don't yeah. know either. That's a good question. 
<laughs> so I, I have a little, since we're still in non-spoilers, I have a couple little nitpick things that I wanted to ask you guys about. I'm just, um, why does everyone in this community, and maybe this is, is characteristic of that region in Maine. Maybe they actually do this, but why does everyone use everyone else's first and last names every five seconds? Like the whole time the characters <laughs> called each other by their first and last name. And I just wonder, and it wasn't really a character thing that was weird. I'm just wondering why Stephen King wrote it that way. Any theories? Hey, you know what? It, it, yeah. I mean, it is something that I noticed. Um, Boy, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, maybe there are communities out there, and maybe Stephen King was part of one where they do that, where they, have they give the full name. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. curious. Yeah, if we have listeners from Maine or people who are really familiar with King's work on a level that we're not, that know, is that a Kingism or is that a Maineism? But what I'm wondering is because we have so many characters, and because it's important to know what the familial relationships are in this film. I'm wondering if it was to connect family members. So you're like, oh, okay. So that's that person's husband. That's that mm. person's child. And maybe and that's why it was done that way. That's my theory. Yeah. Because that's a good, that's a really good theory because you don't see the spouses and families together very much. Often right. everybody's kind of scattered. And so that, that would be a way of handling that. That's really good. Um, an- another thing that just referencing, like, it's funny how this this film seems to tie to things in the future, but it also ties to things in the past. And and were you guys, I was so reminded, um, it, it, at the end we have Mike Anderson, you know, no spoilers, he's making his stand and, and, and arguing his point, his case, with the community and so you have one good man pleading with the community to band together and help and he's and he's alone in this it reminds me so much of high noon when gary cooper is trying to like get everybody in that church um mm-hmm. to to help him yeah and 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 i just wondered if stephen king was maybe riffing on that or drawing from that maybe maybe a little bit i could i could see that obviously different from that because in high noon uh again this is getting into spoilers i don't want to get too deep into this so we'll wait for that one and we don't want to again get into spoilers but i do want to at least allude in this part of the conversation that there are a lot of biblical references especially old testament references uh throughout Mm -hmm. this film and so i thought that was quite interesting as well like storylines that seem to parallel uh, storylines from the bible oh yeah i love that I love that part of it. Now I love the uh, yeah mm-hmm. the the little extra part to the story of Job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you can tell it's going to be a joke about halfway through his story, but <laughs> it was, it was right, funny. right. That is good. Um, what about? I mean, can a constable live on six grand a year? I mean, is that is that really a <laughs> That was just something I wondered. Well, about. that's just his. It's almost like his extra. It's like his calling. Like it's his extra uh-huh. job in the community. Yeah, he, he already has his. Store. He has, he has his full time job, right? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. kind of an appointment that he's given, like a city council person or something. Okay, right. I understand. I understand. So uh, this this film is pretty good at like setup and payoff. And um, in the beginning of the film, like really near the beginning. We have our villain, our bad guy, our our scary guy, singing "I'm a little teapot," 
and and I was so annoyed by that. Um, like each time, yeah. and I'm like, oh no! But but then like the the setup and payoff and the way that keeps coming back around, it gets more effective. But I wish it would have been like pretty much any other song, <laughs> but that. <laughs> Anyway, that bugs well, me. Well, to be uh, royalty free, probably, and yet probably, recognizable. Yeah. So, right, that's um, that's true. But uh, yeah, I agree. I there were, and that's again one of the things I didn't love about Andre Linoge is I I didn't love his little catchphrases, um, you know, that sound like a maybe a southern preacher would say, "Born in sin, come right in," you know, and all those like, like I that stuff really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Right? But they all paid off as well. So I think you could have done it a lot less and it maybe wouldn't have been quite as annoying uh, mm-hmm. with those lines as well as with the teapot stuff. But that there's a bathroom scene with the I'm a little teapot that for me is terrifying. <laughs> so, yes, I th- you know, it, it does Agre- work sometimes in the film. It really does. And the other thing I thought of with that, um, because of the nature of Linoge, Part of me just wondered if it was kind of like um, Brad Pitt's um, death character in Meet Joe Black. You remember how he was kind of fascinated with peanut butter and he really liked peanut butter. So I just wonder if that that little song was appealing to him for some reason. So I, I yeah. thought maybe they were doing something like that. But anyways. Or Jason Lee's song in Dreamcatcher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, ex- right. <laughs> exactly. All right, so um, are you guys um ready to talk a, a little spoilers here on this? Yeah, because um there are a few things I'd like to discuss. So we're yeah, gonna should we can we put it at the end of the show for those? Uh, maybe give our ratings now and then mm-hmm. um we, we'll we could discuss it now, but then maybe post it at the end of the show. Yeah, that's that's fine with me. Um, yeah, I think it's probably the best. Okay, that's, we've said that's how we've set it up in the past. I think it's probably the best way to do it. Okay, well, let's go into our ratings for Storm of the Century. And then if you want to hear the spoiler discussion, as we said, it'll be at the end of the episode with the warning. Um, so, uh, Dr. Shock, what do you rate Storm of the Century? I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. And um, I own a Mill Creek version of it. Jay and I were <laughs> discussing this before we started recording. Yes. When you When you see that Mill Creek logo... Um, it, it sends a little cold shiver up your spine because you don't know exactly <laughs> what you're going to get. Right. Um, right. and this happened to be storm of the century plus six other movies. Mm-hmm. And there oh, were two other two and it's on one disc for storm of the century. And there were two other movies on the disc with Same. storm of the century. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, the quality is gonna suck. But the quality was actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised and I had no problem. You know, it wasn't fuzz. I mean, certainly not Blu-ray, but it was cert- it was good enough to to uh, that it wasn't a distraction. Uh, and that's all you ask for when you when you get some of these Mill Creek uh, collections. Um, so it's a buy. I mean, if you can find this and obviously you can and not even that expensive. Yeah. Uh, although I looked up that set that I have and it's almost $50 now well, on Amazon. This has been at Walmart in the $5 bin for a long time. Yes, I, and I, I remember seeing that and I remember I never did pick that up and that's why I ended up buying this Mill Creek. No, I didn't pay $50 for it. I think I got it for around you know, $10, $15 at the time. Um, but if you can find a, a version of this at, at, at you know, 
in the five dollar bin, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. But even something up to like fifteen dollars or so, um, you know, for this, it's worth picking up. I I totally agree, and I'm right there with you. Dave, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. It's definitely a buy it. I own this. And this is something that I think people should watch once a year. And especially especially the first time you watch this, if you can, try to watch this when there's a ton of snow outside, when you're snowed in. There have been times like in my youth when I there was like a literal blizzard where I lived and it would have been freaking amazing to watch this. So like when there's a really bad snowstorm and it's cold out, this is that's when you want to watch Storm of the Century. But yeah, I I could happily watch this once a year, even though it's 4 hours and and still love it. So 9 out of 10 buy it. What do you say Wolfman Josh? So my numerical rating is going to be a little bit lower because of some of the annoyances we talked about and the made for TV look. Um although again, I think it does better than you'd expect. Um, it still has kind of a made for TV quality. And I do think there are some redundancies in the storytelling just due to no fault of its own, but because of its original presentation. But so my numerical rating is going to come at a 7.5. Um, but I still do really enjoy this movie. And yeah, I've got the standalone DVD of the film, but we actually have given away two copies of the six movie collection on the show before. And in fact, I know Sal Roma won one of those, if I'm not mistaken. So um, they are around and I just was, did a quick Google search and I'm seeing the standalone DVDs for $5 at Barnes and Noble and the six movie collection for $11. So, Oh, nice. They're both. Yeah. Accessible. I thought I could have sworn I I saw it on Amazon and it was like $50 or something. That. Well, that happens when they when they uh, aren't producing them anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for me, I think it's a buy, and uh, and just building on what Jay and Dave said, I think this is a great film to watch. You know, in these winter months, that's why we're doing it right now. But I I watched these uh, indoors while there was snow outside, with my Christmas lights are still up, and it was just a wonderful wintertime experience. I I really enjoyed myself watching. So. <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, there are some annoyances, but if you take into account that it was a 90s film and it was a made-for-TV movie, you'll know exactly what you're getting into, and I think you can enjoy it on its own terms, and it's a lot of fun. For sure. All right, so that's our review of Storm of the Century. Stick around in the episode later on if you want to hear the spoiler section. I had uh, been sort of a casual Stephen King fan. I had read a few of the books, but I think uh, my biggest enthusiasm had been through Carrie first, you know, and Stand By Me and The Shining and um, Misery. Those were really successful adaptations, I thought. Can we get Tim here, too? It is a challenge to take a book this long and complicated and full of so many flights of fancy and make a good movie. Because movies are always a reduction of any good novel. This new book, it sounded, the material sounded like something I could relate to, you know, friends who were sort of dissatisfied with their life. Married to an extraordinary, you know, Stephen King development, you know, the invasion of aliens from another world. And I thought, well, you know, that's like one of my movies, but with the thing I really want to do now, which is something more, you know, something bigger. 
All right, and at this point in episode 166, let's move into our feature review of Dreamcatcher from 2003. There are those who believe your dreams have great power. And to remain safe, you must sleep beneath a dream catcher. The legend says pleasant dreams pass through the center. While nightmares become entangled in its web. This time, evil slips through. Dreamcatcher is based on the Stephen King novel. It was adapted by William Goldman and later Lawrence Kasdan, who also directed the film. And so right there, you've got three of the greatest writers of our generation working on this one project with Stephen King, William Goldman, Lawrence Kasdan. You're like, okay, like some of the best people to ever write. (laughs) We're working on this project. And and having said that, Josh, what the hell happened? (laughs) (laughs) We have a story that's essentially like if alien attacked the people in the deer hunter is like what it felt like to me. Yeah. Right. Um, You have a group of friends who are from Derry, Maine, actually. Of course. And they have a childhood experience, not unlike some of you know a losers club might have in a place like Derry, Maine, where they rescue a young boy named Douglas or Duddits uh, from a, an attack by bullies, and this experience bonds them together, not just in a practical way, but in a supernatural way. And so, years later, when they're adults, they all have, as we learn very early in the film, within the first couple minutes, they all have special abilities which in Stephen King terminology we might call a shining or, or the touch. They, they all shine to some degree. And so these, these friends are uh, talking to each other and they're, they're saying, you know what? I, I really feel like we need to get back in touch with Duddits, this young boy that they rescued as a child. And they agree that that's the case. And then suddenly uh, one of the characters played by Damian Lewis Jonesy is struck by a vehicle. Now this happened to Stephen King in real life. He was hit by a van mm-hmm. and that experience is what led him to writing Dreamcatcher, at least that right. element of Dreamcatcher. Yeah. This is an all-star cast. Like truly uh, it's Tom Sizemore and Morgan Freeman, Donnie Wahlberg, Timothy, Oli fantastic, Jason Lee, mm-hmm. Thomas Jane, uh, and the aforementioned Damian Lewis, a really strong cast. Maybe, you know, not all of them A-listers, but at least a really strong B cast. Yeah, if, definitely. And um, a couple A-listers in there. And these characters, after the the car wreck, decide they're going to get together at, at this hunting cabin, hunting lodge, as they often do. And... Um, while there, they have a, a run-in with what could be described as an alien force. Mm-hmm. You know, St- Stephen King said he wanted to make a movie about men being men and how men interact with each other when they're together and alone 
and then interrupt that story, interrupt that deer hunter story. In this case, um, with an old, you know, fifties sci-fi monster movie and essentially have an alien invasion happen. And so, um, as I've alluded to, this film does take a very hard turn, but it's an interesting mix of genres here with sci-fi mm-hmm. and supernatural and some of it and, and monster movie. And some of it works really well and some of it does not work really well. Um, I personally was extremely disappointed when this came out because I love everything about the world. It had such a strong cast. It had a great group of people behind the camera. I was a Jason Lee super fan and you know, Stephen King obviously as well. And so I just thought, okay, this is going to be my favorite movie of all time. And then I went and saw it in the theater and I was like, that wasn't great, but I will say (laughs) over the years, my appreciation has grown. And on this most recent viewing, I really enjoyed myself uh, Mm. when I watched the film for this episode. So take that for what it's worth, but that is the basics of Dreamcatcher. Okay. Now, Dave and I, this is, this year was the first time that Dave and I both saw this movie, right, Dave? Yes. Today was the first time I had seen it. Yes. Yeah. Now, now what'd you think about it, Dave? You know what? It's, um, I don't think my reaction was too far off of Josh's both from his first viewing and from his most recent. Um, uh, I could see all of the the weaknesses in the movie as I was watching it. Uh, You know, there's going to be, I shouldn't say trouble, but you know, it's going to be an interesting movie when the most level headed character is played by Tom Sizemore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's well, kind of a tell well sign right there. Well said, but it's it was it was it was it was flawed but fascinating. All right, I, there were, and a lot of it had to do with with the way the characters were interacting. I mean, you know, maybe when I was in grade school, we'd quote Scooby Doo. Uh, I don't know <laughs> that it, it extended uh, for me and my friends into our adulthood. But yeah, but you guys uh, weren't low-level superheroes either. These well, guys that's are true. out to that's save true. the world. They've got <laughs> some work to do now. Yes, they do. Um, and I think <laughs> you know that the, the, the movie is going along at a certain clip, and and it's it's interesting how they set up these characters and the powers that they have, and how they're not really using them for anything that would save the world. Um, it's almost like an unbreakable sort of situation where they're just sort of. Uh, they've they've got these abilities and they're just kind of wasting them and as a result they're just not living the lives they want to li- they wanted to live. But Thomas Jane um, seems like he's maybe best positioned to help people with his powers, but yes. as we see very early on, he's on the verge of killing himself in the first scene. So right, like- he's he's just like he's done with it. He's like, look, this isn't working for me. Um, so you you have. You have that with the char- with the characters when they introduce this other element. Uh, there's a really strong scene set in a in a bathroom, and I know Stephen King had talked about that in in the um in the special features interview I saw on the on the Blu-ray about how mm-hmm. you didn't have hard like most movies don't go into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. You know, in the old days, it was the bedroom that they stayed out of. Um, you know, for for obvious reasons with sensors and whatnot. Propriety, yes, exactly. Now it's the bathroom. Because, you know, things happen in the bathroom that nobody really wants to deal with. 
Um, and <laughs> I think Hitchcock did beat him to the punch on that. He though. did. Yes, he did. True. He beat him to the punch in, in a pretty big way. Um, <laughs> but you know, but there, there is a, a very strong scene set in a bathroom in this movie. Um, I don't know. I probably would have just left those toothpicks on the ground. <laughs> um, you know, knowing the situation, I might have just said, I think I can wait the 10 minutes for the tape to come back uh, <laughs> before I pick up this toothpick. Uh, but that aside, uh, it gives us a reveal of this creature. And I'd like to, I mean, I thought that was, I really liked where the story went at that point. And the idea of it now again how effective was it when um the character is, is having the inner inner discussion the um the the uh where he's been you know the, there's like an invading force uh takes over this this one character and there's an internal dialogue going on between the two of them and how it was handled again i'm not real sure about that there are things about the movie that definitely i thought it was maybe not the best way to to do it i don't know how i would have done it differently but i'm watching going yeah it's a little clunky but i did really also like the 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 scenes where they went into the past i think stephen king does have a strength writing like or putting together these children uh as friends and you see that in it and i think it worked in this movie too how it establishes the friendship early on that has lasted throughout their lives um yeah, I'm this kind of, isn't I'm as ex- just sort of a bouncing things all over the place here again because it's the first time viewing and I'm just trying to get out what I liked, what I didn't like about the movie. I don't think um, this handles the children adult thing as well as it, but this, no, it no, it's reminiscent to me of the 1990 it the way it would go from kind of the group of kids as a youth and then checking yes. in with them as, as adults. That that was really reminiscent to me of. Uh, and I would have liked a little more with, with the kids, although I think we got exactly what we needed to set up the story. It's not like any more was, yeah. was necessary at that point. Um, but I did like those, those sort of flashes into the, into the past. Um, there are some really cool scenes in the snow here. Since we're talking mm-hmm. about winter with Stephen King, uh, there's this, car wreck another car wreck that happens in the snow here that i just thought looked so awesome uh, the way it was executed there's a really cool scene of animals kind of fleeing danger in the woods that i thought was looked really cool and and a few scenes in the snow that were just really awesome the way uh, they were done there's a weird thing here and i don't know if it's because of the bathroom thing now i heard stephen king say that for him making telling the story was all based around getting to that bathroom scene. So he was really excited about that idea that you mentioned. And I heard him say, I don't know if it was on the same thing you saw, but he was saying, you know, a lot of horrible things happen to us in the bathroom. We, you know, we might be using the restroom and then look down and see blood in the, in the toilet. And I'm sorry for everyone. This is going to get a little bit graphic for a second, but you might see some blood in the toilet and you know, you'll, you'll discover, that you have cancer, you'll discover you have some kind of sore or, or something in the bathroom. Like the, and that's why this door has remained closed and the characters. It's interesting because the, the alien first appears and they even refer to him as this in the film as the shit weasel is yeah. what Morgan Freeman calls it in the movie. Right. Uh, it basically blasts out of this guy's butt and um and and also throughout the film there is kind of like this penile 
uh, look to Whoa. the shit weasels. Uh, they're <laughs> they're phallic looking in nature, but weirdly have kind of a vaginal like mouth and quite reminiscent of alien if i i must say right i yeah. mean there's a lot of so and it's interesting, it's interesting they try to references to ripley which i thought was kind of interesting too mm-hmm. but i thought it was interesting how they're yeah they they have a very i don't know bathroom related yeah look all throughout whether you know no matter who you are there's butts and and both you know, genders, private parts and genitalia. Yes. There's sperm reference references. Like it's really interesting how it kind of goes that direction for that portion of it. But mm-hmm. I don't know what the point is of that. Honestly, like, I don't know if it's just because he's trying to tie it back to the bathroom. I don't know if that's purely a Lawrence Kasdan decision, but the one thing I did like that King did with the alien that I think, um, Kazan did okay is tie it back to the gray, you know, a classic gray alien. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that element as well, that we have uh-huh. an allusion to that, which is also done in Tommy knockers, but I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So just going back to the very beginning of when you were talking about how, um, when Stephen King was hit with that van. So just an interesting coincidence that happened in 1999 which is when Storm of the Century came out, which we just reviewed. That, that's kind of oh, wow. a weird little coincidence. And then um, I guess I, I had read that he he ended up writing this novel in longhand rather than um, mm-hmm. typing it out. And, and I wonder, um, he, he said, I've heard, and you guys can tell me if you heard this in the special features too, but I, I heard that he, he doesn't particularly like dream catcher and he and he said he wrote it while he was on painkillers <laughs> so uh, i mean i think that shows in in some of uh, the exchanges and the dialogue between the characters yeah um and some of the the humor i mean there is def- there are definitely characters um cracking jokes at moments that were i in that situation i would not be cracking jokes Right. I think some of that's Jason Lee and Timothy Oliphant right. kind of ad-libbing. Could I, think be. There's, I think there's Could a be. lot of that. Just knowing those guys as performers, I can really feel, especially Jason Lee, you can tell he's making up like right. at least half of his dialogue on the spot. <laughs> you know? That's funny. Yeah. Uh, but, but Stephen King was happy with this movie, uh, Jay, yeah. just to throw that out there. He said they, this interview that I saw was conducted right after his screening of this film. And he says, you never know how it's going to be on the screen. If you're going to love it, you're going to hate it. You're going to be indifferent. And he said, in this case, it's a good movie. And, you know, this book is also not well regarded either. I should say like fans of King don't love this novel. So it's not just the movie. I think there is a general sentiment around Dreamcatchers being kind of a little lesser than in terms of Stephen King works, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I've heard a big cry for people that this film should be remade, that it could be done better. And I don't know, like it's, it is in that weird area for me where it's like your cast is so good. Right. And it looks so good in terms of the photography and the setting. Now, some of the creature design and CGI is, is not great. It's but derivative. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, but you know, you've got these, you've got an amazing set that takes place in the mind that I think is fantastic. That I is, love the way that that's executed. That's, that is incredible. 
And, and so I, it, it seems to me like it would be really hard to do better than this movie, even though it's not great, if that makes sense. Like it would be hard to come in with a remake and have a better cast and have a better production team, right. you know, than they have on this one. Right, I, right. I agree with that. Yeah, this is definitely an execution dependent type of thing. And especially when you have source material that's um, not, I mean, it's somewhat iffy, right? I mean, I, the thing is, I yeah. love the, I love the first half of this. I thought I, that's, what's weird for me. Like I, I was so into it and really pumped up. And then when you had like, and, and I know that people just think I'm like a stick in the mud, but I, it, the thing is I'm a guy I, I hated bad Milo uh, and I'm sorry, but you can, you can call me a prude, but I don't, I don't like that kind of humor and stuff for whatever reason. I don't know what it well, is. You you do love the ass blasters and tremors. I love those, but those are the only, <laughs> those, are, those are the exception. But other than those, um, I would have never guessed you're not a bad Milo type of guy, Jay. I hate, I hate bad Milo, but I'm sure, I'm sure you do. It I, was I a big, no it was a big point of contention early on on the show, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but can you believe that was that was 2013 ish? Like that was way that was a while ago. Anyways, it's almost six years. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but no, so because I'm so just putting that out there, I'm that guy who doesn't love that, and so. So once it went that direction and we had like tons of gas noises, I mean, there, there's so much of that in there that, that it's just, it's a little overwhelming and it takes me out of the film. It's like, for me, it feels like it's, it's Stephen King acting like he's 13 years old or something. I mean, I did think the scene with Jason Lee works really well in the bathroom. I thought that, I thought that part was extremely well executed uh yeah but i do think i I wasn't a fan of the rest of it right right i think for me the biggest low point of this is damian lewis's performance he's a strong actor generally but his portrayal of jonesy and and kind of where that character goes i just was like ugh, like this is what's making it cringeworthy for me to me if you if you just removed that the performance choices that he's making, I think they would go a long way to make the movie more palatable for me. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, there's a CGI related moment at the very end. That is another big down. Uh, yeah. Tick for me. But other than those two things, it's mostly really watchable. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they were to remake it, you can almost see, um, Oh my God. I can't believe it. The name just slipped. Right. Simon Pegg playing that part the way if he's making the same decisions you know yeah right i mean i can see i can see them doing the film better i just don't you're never going to get a cast this well i don't i don't I, I don't know that the story the way that it's it's set up to begin with i don't know if you could do better i mean i don't know right. that the, this isn't the definitive dream catcher well Right. And I also think that there's so much that could have been done with the Dreamcatcher imagery. Like even just looking at the poster, like this is a really good poster. Yes, it is. And the concept of the Dreamcatcher is such a cool idea mm-hmm. that they really don't ever use. Because no, they don't. It becomes, they really don't. becomes an alien film rather than anything built around the mythology of a, of an actual Dreamcatcher, which right. could have been cool. Right. Agreed. And you know, we lost William Goldman back in November or just a couple months ago. And you're just never going to have William Goldman. And I, I, 
<laughs> you know, Lawrence Kaz. I'm just saying, because let's just remember real quick. I mean, I looked up this, like Kasdan, the writer-director of Wyatt or Silverado, The Big Chill, Body Heat, right? And William yeah, Goldman, incredible. Misery, okay? Um, Butch yeah. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men. Wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's done two. What was the other... Um... Was it Dolores Claiborne that he did? It, William Goldman see. has done two of the very best uh, Stephen King adaptations before this one. Now, I will say I heard uh, that Goldman did a draft of the film before Kasdan came on. And Kasdan came on and he was like, okay, I like this, but I want to bring in more elements. I guess uh, Goldman had drifted from the book a little bit because he thought there were elements in the book that would not translate well to film he didn't feel like he could, he could address them well. And so Kasdan said, well, do one more rewrite for me. And so um, Goldman did. And then Kasdan said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take the script and do another pass at it. Cause I want to incorporate all these elements from the book that Goldman didn't feel like would work in the movie. So I wonder if those are some of the elements that kind of don't work in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that Kasdan put back in. I wonder. Possibly, yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah, and and for people, I'm sure that our listeners know this, but like Kasdan, you know, big writer for the Star Wars franchise, of Empire course. Empire Strikes and, Back. I mean, yeah. I know Jay's not a fan. Oh, I'm a fan. <laughs> no, don't don't. Sp- I'm just saying, oh. like, you know, people. Well, Jay was mocking Empire Strikes Back on MPW a couple weeks ago. No, I w- I was mocking how people have orgasms when they hear somebody mention. Empire Strikes Back, and it's good. I mean, it's a great film. There's no doubt. But I'm not. Like, oh, I thought you were saying the. Never mind. Yeah, like I'm. Uh, uh, yeah, but he's also written uh, the Force Awakens and Solo as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I I'm with you. I and and plus they had for the soundtrack here for they had James Newton Howard on this. I mean. Yeah, this thing was stacked, and that's why I can't understand why it didn't turn out better. And I think for me, it's just the tonal shift. First half is great, and then it goes off the rails. And um, for me, but it 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 goes into some very bizarre areas, uh, especially the whole in the mind with the warehouse, and um, you know, for memories. See, I love that stuff. I I, I really enjoy the Duddits storyline, and I really enjoy the I like the, the Duddits memories. I, I like the Duddits. I I don't know about the Vault of Memories. That was that. Well, it just seemed. I don't know. It I, it. I don't know. Like I said, it was my first time watching it. Maybe I'll feel differently, but it. Not out of place. It just. Uh, the way I don't it's, know. It was just different. The way the way it was presented. I don't. I it didn't. It. it it didn't strike me the first time through. See, that's typically not my kind of thing, Dave. So I'm I'm with you on that aspect, but the depiction of it I thought was brilliant. I like the way cuz I just think that would be a very difficult thing to depict and I love what the, they did here with that. So I really admire it. Okay. Anyways, um what other I I personally don't have as much to say about this film as I do Storm of the Century, but so by all means, guys, get to, you know, keep going unless you're ready for ratings because I'm I, just about ready. I, I, don't <laughs> well, I, mean, I could do I could do a spoiler discussion on this one, but it sounds like you guys can't. So maybe let's just let me just very briefly do mm-hmm. for the listeners. Maybe I'm going to do one minute of spoilers. If yeah, they, if they want to skip mm-hmm. ahead. 
Yeah, go for it. Okay. And then after that one minute, we'll do the, the ratings. Mm-hmm. Okay. I lo- what I love about the Deaded storyline is that we have what is typically seen in a Stephen King story with the shining, but instead of one person shining or two people shining, we have an entire group of friends. So we basically take the entire losers club from it and give them all the superpower. And as I alluded to before, it's cool that this is passed on to everyone in the group from one character. So like, um, so the, these characters are able to, he's able, Dennis is able to give the shine or the touch to these other guys, which I think is super cool. Mm-hmm. I, I just in terms of the Stephen King mythology, nice. I, I love that element of it. Um, the reason I love the Mind Warehouse is because I love body snatcher movies, and I love that in this case, a normal mind would just be taken over uh, by by this alien, but because we're dealing with people who shine, he's not strong enough to take over their minds that they can coexist and so Mm -hmm. i love the idea that jonesy is able to hide vital information from mr gray because he has this extra sensory power anyway i love all of that and i feel like you could really explore that well in a body snatcher stephen king kind of way in Mm -hmm. a film that was a little bit better that's cool yeah i agree with that for sure Mm mm-hmm all right. Yeah, and I, it was probably better than the whole, okay, camera to the left, he's got his regular voice, camera to the right, he's talking the alien. Yeah. You know? Right. But also, the other <laughs> voice is really so lame and over the top. Like, right. Mm-hmm. If, right. Even if that had just been, I, I didn't even mind the way they shot it if he had performed it. It might have been even yeah. more interesting if he talked more like Duddits. <laughs> mm, that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. Thank you, Josh. I, those are ex- those really good comments. Not actually good comments, but they were really good comments. <laughs> I hate when I say actually. That's so jerky sounding. Wow, Josh, you were actually pretty clever. <laughs> no, that's not what I was saying. Anyways, okay, so with Dreamcatcher 2003, for me, uh, it, it looks great. And I actually had a good time while I was watching it. It felt a little long for me. It's like two hours and 15 minutes um, if this had been around like 100 minutes, 90 to 100 minutes, I, I think I would have had enjoyed it more. Don't ask me what I would have cut. I'm just saying it felt long. I had fun still. It's like a one-time watch for me. I give it a 6 out of 10, and I call Dreamcatcher a rental. What do you say, Dr. Shuck? Um, a little bit higher. Um, I'd say 6.5. Uh, I did have some issues, which we've already discussed, but... It, it was still entertaining. I didn't get the idea that it, that I didn't feel as if it was too long because um, uh, of the fact that I found it entertaining. So it didn't really drag at any point for me or felt like watching the clock or anything. Um, and I thought it had some really strong moments. It had some, it had a great group of people that came together to make it. Um, which leaves, which left me scratching my head a little bit as to why was it not better than it was. Right. Uh, but it's still one time. I mean, it's a rental. I think people should should rent it and they should uh, they should see it. Um. So yeah, six point five. Okay. And um, Wolfman Josh. So I'm gonna give it a seven point five. Um. And honestly, on my rewatch, I preferred this to Storm of the Century when I watched the two films. Wow. Um. Mm. Part of that is I've just seen Storm of the Century a lot more, and I was 
and I had kind of a bad memory of this one. And so revisiting it, I was like, oh, wow, this was not as bad as I had remembered, you know, mm-hmm. uh, still not great. And, and it has some shortcomings, but I'm giving them essentially the same rating uh, because I think this excels in a lot of places where some of the century maybe, you know, didn't look that great. I love the, the way the lodge looks. I love this cast of characters, both the characters and the actors. I love the backstory. Uh, snowy setting all of that stuff really worked for me Uh, it does have its problems for sure i am fine calling this a rental but i think if you're either a stephen king super fan or you just really like this uh, snowy setting or you like this type of alien film i think it would be okay to buy the the dvd i own it um and i will buy a blu-ray if i ever see a good version of it to be honest but um most people are not going to want to buy this, and mm-hmm. and I would call it a rental for most people. Okay, seven point five rental. Doctor Shock says six point five rental, and I say six rental. That's Dreamcatcher. There's one funny thing I saw on Twitter, yeah, uh, just yesterday that I wanted to share because it, okay. it tied into this well. Mm-hmm. This is from Massa Worm on Twitter. <laughs> nice. See Robert Cargill who wrote Sinister and um, Doctor Strange more yeah. recently. Oh, yes. right. Yeah. Um, and used to work for Ain't It Cool News. But he, he has a funny tweet here. He said, Max Landis is remaking American Werewolf. Jason Reitman is making Ghostbusters 3. Fingers crossed for Jake Kasdan's Dreamcatcher 2. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Awesome. All right. Well, we can only hope, right? <laughs> okay. So that's our review of Dreamcatcher. And uh, now let's move into the Collector's Crypt. This time in the Collector's Crypt, I just wanted to talk briefly about two recent releases that our listeners may appreciate. I'm not going to get into it too deeply. I got the 4K Blu-ray release of Halloween, and I just wanted to report that it looks great. I was able to rewatch it, which I had a great time doing. It is, I had seen it twice the week it came out, and then I hadn't seen it's sense. And so it was a lot of fun rewatching the movie. And then actually I liked it better upon rewatching. I think it was really good. Now the disc, it does include some deleted scenes. The one that was out there on the internet that everyone has seen, which is the shower scene, I thought was the worst one. So if you're like, Oh, I'm not going to watch the deleted scenes. Most of them are just extended scenes. And I wish they were in the movie. There's nothing great. Like I wish, like we had hoped for like more Lori outside the prison or those rumored big cuts either at the that point or at the ending that would have really changed our perception of the story mm-hmm. but they did make it feel a whole lot more like a david gordon green movie it felt a lot more like a joe felt or un, you know or wow. undertow felt where there was this breathing room in the film that i really enjoyed when i was watching those extended scenes i thought now this feels more like David Gordon Green. I, I was really digging it because I'm a fan of his. Also, there was a lot more with the teenage cast of the boyfriend and, and the daughter. So we felt like they weren't handled very well in the film. They had like two or three extra scenes that just got cut out. So, well, um, quick question yeah, yeah. on this just to clarify. So are, are those extended scenes only available like in like the deleted scenes format or can you watch a version of the film with those included? 
Oh no, they're just in the special features okay. only at this point. Now, I would love to see a director's cut with, you know, as we mentioned, the big change mm-hmm. uh, that Jamie Lee Curtis's character, whose name I'm blanking on somehow, Lori Strode, <laughs> Lori Strode, yeah. that she was somehow responsible for the events that unfold. I I want to see that version of the film with some of these extended scenes in. Um, there's oh, also yeah. the last one. You're going to be like, what? Because the last one I think was just an outtake, more of like a blooper than a, than a deleted scene. It's really wacky. And then there are about five or six featurettes. Most of them are not good. And everything that's on them for the most part, you can just see in the um, press junket videos that are on YouTube there were a couple of little extras on the music, the mask, and um, there was a round table with Jamie Lee Curtis, David Gordon Green, John Carpenter, and Jason Blum. That was nice to see. I wish that had been longer, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I would just say this disc is not the disc we deserve or that this film <laughs> deserves. I think we really want to see, and I've seen the sentiment online. Like we really need a, a better disc for this release that has a director's commentary, a real documentary. Cause they have all these interviews. They give you these one little feature at snippets of Danny McBride, these people. And they, you don't even get a full sentence out of them. They're just little sound bites. And you think you definitely interviewed Danny McBride for at least 15 minutes, if not an hour, like right. give us the goods. So I, I hope that there's another release of this soon, but just from a technical point of view. And if you're dying to see the movie again, the transfer looks great. Um, and it's definitely worth picking up on Blu-ray. Nice. Okay. Any questions before I move on? No, that's thanks for telling us about that. The other one I wanted to mention is this new Blu-ray collection. It's the predator Four movie collection and it has predator predator Two, predators and the predator on it. <laughs> and I, I had already purchased the predator um, for twenty dollars mm. when I saw this, and then I th- this was thirty dollars. But the Predator Blu-ray had all these special features that I really wanted, and the the four movie collection doesn't have any information as to what features are on these discs. And so I was just like, ah, I don't want to buy just the movie if I'm not because I you know I had never seen any of the features before. So I'm like, I want to see all these features, and and um anyway, I just decided to bite the bullet and give the predator to some listeners. <laughs> so I'm going to give away that disc. And I bought the four movie collection. Cause I didn't have, I didn't own any of the other ones except for predators. So I guess I'll give that away to the listeners as well. Nice. But um, this has all four discs with the features that were on the latest Blu-ray release of each. So the predators one is packed. Uh, the predator one's pretty good. And predator one and two have, whatever was on the most recent Blu-ray release. So I just wanted to, as a PSA to people, if you're like me and you didn't own the movies and you're considering getting the new movie for $10 more, I think it's worth getting all four movies and yeah. has everything you would want from those discs. How does, so the original predator 1987, how does that look and what does that come with? It looks great, and I didn't write down what that one comes with. Okay. That, I, did, I, I only checked the features of the two that I owned, which were Predators and The Predator, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't losing anything right. by giving away those discs. So I apologize. I didn't check that the first two films. No, oh, that's fine. No, that's... I did know that they're the same discs that were on the most recent Blu-ray releases. So whatever mm-hmm. is on those is here, too. Okay, cool. Gotcha. 
right. So that's called um it's just called Predator and then it's like a four pack Blu-ray so basically. Predator clicking. four movie collection. Okay. <laughs> that that's so ambiguous, it really bothers me. Like <laughs> you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I'm a but writer. A, it is a nice collection if you want to pick up those films. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, Josh, I wasn't saying you were being ambiguous. I'm saying that no, titling. I, I got it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and cool. that will be it for the collector's crypt, too. And at this point, uh, as promised, we are going to announce the horror movie podcast listeners of the year. This is very exciting. So, um, so Josh, would you like to do the honors? You always do such a nice job at this. Well, I'll at least intro it. I did want to say, you know, we have so many awesome listeners, especially really active listeners who are very supportive and buy the t-shirts and interact with us on Twitter and come leave comments on the website. So I don't want people to feel left out. And, you know, by the reason we do this is we really want to give an extra thank you to the people who give of their time and talents to enhance the show for us and for the listenership. And so that's what this is all about. You know, we have wonderful people who like red cap Jack and pastor Matt and Andrew. And I could go on and on and on people who are on the website interacting with us. And we really appreciate all of your vocal support because hearing from you guys is what really makes this worthwhile. You know, we, we see the download numbers and those are great, but it's so nice to actually hear from real people and know like, Oh, people actually are listening to this. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, that, that's always nice. Having said all that, we wanted to give our listener of the year spots to people who had really done something to enhance the show itself. And I do also want to remind people that those spots will be able to vote in our horror cinema awards. They'll be part of our jury Mm -hmm. uh, for those awards. That's right. All right. Our listeners of the year for 2018 are Trey Whetstone, who uh, created the HMP uh, ratings archive, which is awesome. Incredible. Shane, the maniac. Uh, he bought, uh, he had several Blu-rays that he had uh, given us as uh, uh, giveaways during the, during, uh, you know, certain episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan, uh, he bought another listener, an HMP shirt for a giveaway, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Armored foe who designed a new shirt for the horror movie podcast. Excellent. Peter Strain, uh, who donated uh, his Halloween 2018 original art for a giveaway. Jody Horror Guy, uh, he did the 2018 list of films, which was invaluable to to myself and, and I think the entire HMP community, uh, and also came up with the Scarecrow list for Jay's uh, upcoming challenge. Mm-hmm. And he attended our first meetup in Indiana, too, by the way. That was awesome. Excellent, which is awesome. And our last uh, listener of the year is Sal Roma, who really came in strong for the 31 Days of Horror this year, um, which was awesome. Uh, thank you very much to all of to all of you uh, mm-hmm. for for what you uh, did for us in 2018. It, it's it's invaluable. It really is. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And. We, we had so much trouble. We wanted to give at least honor and recognize a few others, give some shout outs. So these are our honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this doesn't offend people. They're going to be so mad. They're going to be like, what? I just missed the, the cut. But anyway, don't look at it that way. Look at it as we're celebrating you, your honorable mentions. And that would be Allison Clark, 
who is an exceptional guest on our Cults episode and Suspiria episode. And that's Allison with the Y, of course. Or AKA the horror unicorn, right? Mm. And then we <laughs> and then we have uh, Vicious Victor. Check out her podcast, The Haunted Davenport. Yeah, seriously. And then we have Vicious Victor, who is a guest uh, who endured much on our Hellraiser franchise, and he brought a lot <laughs> to the table. I, yes, I loved absolutely. having him. And then speaking of enduring much, Fiendish Mike, <laughs> he uh, he came through on the Puppet Master franchise. Oh, my goodness. Um, that was a, a lot of movies. And then, of course, uh, Cake Wolf as well, who also had endured much for the Puppet Master franchise. And then the Mad Cetologist, who was the guest on our Shark Attack Part 2 and taught us a lot about Megalodons. So those are our honorable mentions, and we thank you. Thank you all again, our listeners of the year, and all of our listeners, really, but the, specifically those people that Dave mentioned I will be sending you your ballots for the Cinema Awards for 2018. And though that show will happen just before the Oscars. And so you will need to complete your ballots a couple of days before that. And I'll have all of the details in the email that I send you. So I guess I will try to get in touch with all of you. I think I have everyone's contact information. So uh, don't worry about doing anything. But I will contact you via social media or email to let you know about the ballot. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and by the way, the Academy Awards, the Oscars are on February 24th, if okay. people are curious about that. Dave and I are counting down. So I'm looking forward to it, yeah. We have uh, remaining, we just have a, a few giveaways that we want to do, and let's start with uh, Dr. Shock's DVD giveaway. All right, this is um, the final one. Now, this is the big one where the, uh, the winner will get 48 uh, DVDs. That's the one case that I have left. Uh, has 48 slots. Interestingly enough, looking through the list, you know, when I started, when I announced this whole thing, um, however many episodes ago, you know, I listed off like 38 movies, something like that. At least half of those are still available that I had mentioned. Uh, and real quick, it's it's kind of a timing thing, and I feel bad because the first two winners did not get a shot at uh, one specific DVD, but I happened to pick up the Blu-ray for Halloween 2018, and it came with a DVD copy that I have no need for. So whoever wins this 48, if they don't have it already, will get a shot at the Halloween 2018 uh, DVD mm, also. Nice. And I have the list of entries. Let mm -hmm. me go into the random generator here. That's fine. I love that random generator. I used it at work this week. It really it's, works. It's really cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really cool. All right. And the winner is Toast Clark. <laughs> nice. Toast Clark. Awesome. And I know he's on uh, Twitter or they're on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So congratulations. You get the 48 DVDs. I will send you off a list of the available titles and uh, get back to me on which... Uh, which ones you would like. Wow. Uh, so that's Toast Clark uh, is the final winner. Hooked up. Very cool. Thanks, yeah. Dave. That's very and generous. Even, even Thank you. And even after all this, I'm still going to have 250 DVDs that I have nothing to do with. I can <laughs> nothing I can do with these things. You can, oh, like, I'm sure we can come up with another giveaway. At some point <laughs> down the line, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like one big monster giveaway. Here, you can have all these. <laughs> yeah, right. Just take them all. I'm the, throwing them in a bag. The dregs. 
of Dr. Shock's. Uh, we should really have a horror movie podcast garage sale. That would be fun. There you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. That would be perfect. All right. And and now we also have a t-shirt giveaway. And I believe, I believe, Josh, that you and I have arrived at the same listener on this. The listener who was closest to the collective top 10 listener list, right? Yeah. Now, I do want to say to the listeners out there, there are a lot of people who don't enter these contests. And I don't know why. Like, thousands of you are listening right now. You could all win these amazing gifts, like the one Dave just gave away. We only had two people, as far as I know, and I, I, I will double check, but I believe we only had two people enter this contest for the T Public t shirt. So the chances were very good for these two people. Right. And uh, yes, Coleman W. Coleman W. That's right. The winner of the T Public t shirt. This is uh, some horror icons like Jason and Freddie and uh, Michael Myers. And Leatherface as the Scooby-Doo gang is what this T-Public shirt is. So thank you to T-Public for sponsoring. That was actually for our top 10 episode. We appreciate them providing that to give away to our listeners. And, and if Coleman, if you want to get in touch with us via the email address. Mm-hmm. That's, that do? Yeah. that's right. And what I was going to say, forgive me for cutting you off, Josh. Yeah, it's horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your your mailing address, but I just want to tell the listeners that Coleman had six of the 10 <laughs> picks of the collective um, listeners. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, Coleman is obviously like the top five were the same, right? Uh, yeah. The top four, at least they were a little bit different positioning, but yeah. So the ones that he got in common were uh, Mandy annihilation, Halloween, a quiet place, her hereditary, in summer of 84 and it's Coleman from Texas. Good job, nice. Coleman. That was awesome. So yeah, fantastic. And then uh, just real quick before we go guys, I, I got this email from um, Joel in Australia and the subject line is pig headed horror. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Joel. Joel in Australia is his fault. I didn't, <sighs> I didn't bring it up, but just Joel. here. It just hear me. Hear me out. Because remember, I a long time ago, we did um, a prize giveaway where I was going to award, you know, I awarded the, the pig-headed mask, right? Right. And right, I always right. wondered what happened to that. Well, Joel was the winner, and I, I didn't hear from him, but then I had overlooked his email, so forgive me again, Joel. But anyway, here's what he wrote, and I loved it. He said, gentlemen, we have this little family tradition where we travel about three hours to a little campground, kids in the back, my partner, Catriona, um, up with me in the front. And we probably wouldn't do the trip if we didn't have a fresh episode of Horror Movie Podcast to pass the time. Imagine <laughs> our delight when you read my name out for the pig mask competition. <laughs> my kids who are seven and 10 were cheering and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, I just love it. It was a great treat to hear right as our journey finished. So I guess as they arrived at their destination, they heard that they won this prize. Um, nice. <laughs> he, now he says, Joel says, we live in Australia and I would never put those shipping prices on any gift or prize. So I am very happy to receive my quote, 
Jay in a pig mask photo instead. And maybe... <laughs> and, may, and maybe... Oh, that's awesome. I wonder, do you think he wants my shirt on or off for that photo? Let's go with on. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm messing, Joel. I'm just messing. Um, he says, and instead, maybe you guys could appoint me my HMP handle, please. I was thinking along the lines of No Soul Joel or Joel Mungus, which I thought was hilarious. I love Joel Mungus. But, okay, guys, <laughs> I, I, I worked on this today. Instead of working, I thought up names, name options for Joel in Australia because he was so patient <laughs> with me. Okay, so a, a couple of these are kind of rough, but um, just hear me out. Joel Mungus, I think, is definitely a contender. There's also, you could go with Jolly Joel Roger, the killer pirate from Massacre at Cutter's Cove. That's a 2005 film. <laughs> with Jolly Joel Roger, that's kind of funny. Anyway, and then you have Joyride Joel. Nah. And then you have Joel X, which kind of sounds like Rolex. And it's a little bit of a riff on Jason X, but it's not that good. But here's what I think no. it should be. It, it, <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> Joel, if you don't go with Joel Mungus, I think you should do Joel on, like Juan, but Joel on. <laughs> it just sounds like he's on something. Yeah. And, and, well, you don't say the L hard. You just say Joel on instead of Juan. Mm. That's pretty good. You got to admit. Anyway, we'll let Joel. How about, how about Joel Tell Hell? <laughs> oh, or, I, I like that. Joel Tell Hell. Or th- if keeping it in Australian, what about the Joel Baduck? <laughs> <laughs> that is. I hate how you're always better than me at things, Josh. That is brilliant. <laughs> the Joel Tell Hell and the Joel Baduck. Okay, so Joel, let us know what you pick. And that's how we'll refer to you henceforth. On the horror. We don't like any of those. We'll keep working on it. We, I thought that was. I thought that's something. It took Jay all day at work to come up with his and Josh in about two minutes. I know. <laughs> I know. Joel, uh, Josh's were better than mine in just like point two seconds. I don't know. I jo- like Joel Mungus. I think that's well. That was his. Joel he Mungus made that up. Good and, and Joel Lon was was kind of cool too. I like that one. Yeah, if you don't say the L real hard, it's like I've been sitting here Joel talking. Lon. I didn't realize I was been talking the last four minutes. I didn't know I was on mute. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, happens. What do you have to say, Dave? Let's hear it. No, I, 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 it was, it was reacting to what you were saying. It's gone now. The, the, the moment is past. Oh, okay, okay. Because I can go Just through all those again. How good they were. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I was, I, and I was saying, yeah, I, I was, I was. Did you hear me saying uh, how I think you should keep your shirt on for the photo? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I think I did. I, all right, good. You got that part. All right. Well, that was the big. That was the most important. But, but here's. <laughs> Here's the thing about that. Let me just say, it's not that I like taking my shirt off, but I do want to say, if I'm doing a horror image, right, um, and I'm doing a pig head mask, I, it might look extra cool without the shirt on um, because I have all these scars on my, from the heart surgeries and stuff. So that that's pretty hardcore looking, but my wife would probably veto all of this. So anyways. I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I, I, I'm surprised the pig mask. Yeah, right. Wouldn't get a hard veto. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. Oh man, too bad you don't you don't like tattoos because you could you could really get some cool scar related tattoos <laughs> <laughs> to cover those to cover those up. Right, in an interesting way. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That would be cool. Anyways, okay. Um. So thank you again, Joel, and I will 
I will do that. I'll take you up. That was very kind of you to save us the shipping to Australia. Plus, you're probably not going to do anything with a pig mask. I understand. And so, Jay definitely will. I so definitely will. It's good that it'll be his possession. Absolutely. I, I picture Jay sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table wearing the pig mask. Here's the thing. Just because he was so cool about like not wanting us to incur the shipping cost, I'm going to do something extra special on this pig mask. And it doesn't involve me being shirtless, so don't worry. <laughs> Anyways, um, the other thing is I mailed I mailed out Frank Tweets, his $50 Amazon gift card that he won. And we announced that last time. So, um, Frank, you should already have that by now or you'll have it any day now. So that's in the mail. And um, one, one, well, okay, I have two final notes. I'm sorry, Dave. I know you got to get up early. Um, Mario in the bar was... Um, he he was sad. I I think he sent in his his top ten list a little bit late, and he was he was really bummed out about that. And I just I just wanted to read it off real quick, if you guys don't mind, because I love Mario in the bar. He's very supportive of this the movie podcast network actually, and and I I really enjoy his tweets. So this is just a celebration of Mario in the bar. Here's his top ten horror movies of 2018. Number one, A Quiet Place. Two, Bird Box. Three, Apostle. Four, Bad Samaritan. Five, Halloween. Six, Upgrade. Seven, Hellfest. Eight, Mandy. Nine, Revenge. And ten, All the Creatures Were Stirring. So awesome. Thank you, Mario. We appreciate you. This is an interesting thing, though. You've combined... It's a combo platter of horror. Yeah, there's a there's a storm. A horrible storm, a, a storm that only comes once uh, a century. Just before the storm hits, this homicidal creature shows up. And so he's there, the storm is there. But that's what good horror is. It's kind of a peanut butter cup. You've got your... You've horror got your, is a peanut butter cup. You've got your chocolate. Yeah. You've got your peanut butter. And they're both good, but when you add them together, you've got a whole new taste treat. You're going to get a lot of these from the Reese's company now. Thank you. That's okay. Um, Have you, you've done this before then? You've combined scary elements or you've thought about combining like scary things? Yeah. Usually you have to take a couple of things that are not related. Ordinarily, for instance, one thing that I haven't done yet, but I do have the copyright on this, okay? If you're thinking about it. People in the audience were already starting to write this down. Oh, well. I'm terrified of flying. You mm-hmm. know, the last time we talked, we talked about the Langoliers because right. I'm really terrified of flying and I'm also terrified of rats. So I thought of this story called The Rats Are Loose on Flight 62. Okay? And I, now wait. Yeah. I thought for a second you were going to say rat pilot. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought too. They were like rats piloting better. the thing. Rat, <laughs> rat, rat pilot. Yeah. It's like, I'll go up and check on the pilot and see how he's doing. this point in episode 166 we're going to move into full-blown spoilers for storm of the century so guys there there are a few things i really wanted to talk to you about but number one was there's actually there are two moments that are freaky to me in this like particularly freaky and one of those moments is is full-blown scary to me like actually scares me in the beginning when he's um (laughs) 
it's Jeffrey DeMunn and he he's in jail and he's talking to him about his mother and how she died alone waiting for him while he was with yeah. prostitutes or whatever. And then when he said that, you know, she's going to see you in hell and then she's going to eat your eyeballs like over and over. I thought, wow. I mean, Stephen King kicks you in the groin, man. I mean, that is, <laughs> that, one. that is hardcore. Yeah. And that giving this guy something to think about every day for the rest of his life. And that freak, you know, it kind of creeped me out. Right. But then later in the film, you actually see his mother and I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm sorry if there's anybody who's elderly listening to this podcast, but something about old people, I think they're creepy. And I'd actually like to do a themed episode on geriatric horror or elderly horror or old people horror. We'll call it something like that. We could, yeah. But the, we could, they, yeah. it scares me. And when his mom, you know, he's he's like appearing as his mother in the way she's looks in the jail cell. And then she's saying that line about eating his eyeballs over and over. It actually scares me. I have cold chills right now. I'm afraid. I, I just want to, mm-hmm. for the record, say I love the elderly. <laughs> so I, I right. think they're wonderful. <laughs> but I do think it works because of a different reason. I think it's because we're used to seeing them as kind of loving paternal, maternal figures. They're your grandparents. And um, and then so that when they be when they become evil in that context, it's so startling because we're not used to seeing that. Like the visit. The elderly. Right. Remember the it's, visit? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But imagine, you know, most of the elderly people that we in- interact with, we have the power in those situ- situations. They're frail or they're, you know, warm and inviting. And so to have someone intimidating you, it, it is a scary image, I think, though, because it, for me, maybe you, you're afraid of all old people, but for me, it's right. flipping kind of my expectations <laughs> right. um, on uh, their head a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jay, Jay, you should do a challenge. You should uh, watch Storm of the Century at a retirement community. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. I, I would honestly have a little bit of trouble doing that a little bit. No, so. this is interesting because you know you, you mentioned hell, and there, again, there are a lot of allusions to the Bible throughout the story into heaven and hell and demons and everything. Uh, but it's interesting that he brings up this idea of hell being repetitive. Mm-hmm. And she's going to eat these eyes over and over again. And these people are held, hold up in the community hall. And they, they do mention when this happened before the last big storm, we were all hold up in the church. And it's interesting here. They're not in the church. I don't know if that was intentional, but I, but I do like that. There's no absolution for these people. There's no repentance and forgiveness that can take place for all these crimes they've committed. This right. is just, mm-hmm. they're all going to hell, you know? And so that is scary as well. Right. That gets you there. And I'll tell you for me and the, along the lines of what we were discussing earlier in the show about, um, you know, when you were saying how the character of Linoge sort of shifts from the beginning of just being this, this, menace in complete control to more gentlemanly um you know almost playing by a certain code uh at the end i think it, it all ties back to what they bring into the story about roanoke in the 1500s love it yes how that entire town disappeared off the face of the earth and that's what's this town is being threatened with if they do not give him 
what he wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that what it's almost as if you get the idea that I got for anyway, that this character learned from Roanoke and how he's, to how, he's em- how to do it better. And he's employing that here. He has brought the town to its knees. Now he's going to show, hey, I'm not the total demon you think I am. And in the end, there's only going to be two, possibly one person who is going to be devastated and the rest of the town will be saved. So he was able to, he, he, he is evil throughout the entirety of this. He just knows how to perfectly manipulate every situation. Um, and a lot of it goes back to the lessons he's learned during his long lifetime and trying to do something like this a similar hundreds of years earlier. <laughs> My mind is exploding with like 29 things that I want to say that you guys, to respond to everything you guys just said, <laughs> like, um, oh my goodness, I don't even know where to start, you guys. I'm so like, I guess I'll start with one question for you. Do you think that it was it was all actually a trick? Do you think that they could have followed Mike Anderson's advice and stood up to him and told him, you know, to get the hell out? They're not giving him a kid. Do you- I, I'll tell you what, I, I think it's a possibility and I think that's part of the reason why Mike Anderson could not stay in that town anymore because he was convinced of that. And I think other people, you know, um, I, I think other people may have thought, well, yeah, it might be, but let's be honest. The majority of that town was not in, didn't have any investment in the final solution. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the majority of them were just like, okay, uh, well, we got no problem giving you what you want. Yeah, it's your seven kids, but the rest of us are scot-free on this Right, one. exactly. And and if to get rid of this guy who's letting us know about, you know, how our, our priest has two nieces that are afraid of him um, and, and all this other stuff, it, it's it's, let's get rid of this guy. Let's get him the hell out of here as quick as we can and get on with our lives. Well, now, I, I think that mm-hmm. it was real because of the Roanoke story. Now, he could have been lying to them. Maybe he, this had nothing to do with Roanoke. I we thought trust it was the devil. Yeah. The, the, the reporter and the preacher, were they not played by the same actor playing Linoge? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, him. That's what I thought. So you wonder if that was true. Well, I mean, that, that reporter sequence was happening when they were all in that in that dream. dream. In yeah. that dream, but they kind of took that as a reality when they woke up. Well, right. He, but you can say, well, look, this happened to Roanoke. They didn't agree. They didn't do what he said. Right. And now they all are gone. And so right. that it's believable if you trust him. <laughs> if you, take if him you believe him. And they even bring that up at one point. If you believe him. Well, yes. and it is, it is a popular theory. There are people who think that he was just bluffing because there's that line at the end where they said, you tricked us. And he said, Perhaps you tricked yourselves. So it it, it right. is um kind of ambiguous whether because obviously he could kill them. So if they didn't um you know give in to what he wanted, then then right. he could have just killed them all. He and he killed. But, he could have killed the entire town and, and taken the. And I think no matter what, it seems that if the the child he ended up with was the one he was going to end up with. But it's almost as if he knew he knew that. So and even at the end when you know he's being accused of of fixing it, he says, yeah. yeah, he's like, oh no, this was this was not fixed. This was you know. But it's almost as if he knew the outcome ahead of time. But I feel like it, the film makes it 
fairly clear that if if he was going to adopt a protege, that it had to be willingly, you know, they had to agree to it. He had to get yeah, them and, to agree, kind of like signing that, that your soul be, to the devil. Be, yes, one of the rules that he's bound to, yeah. whether he likes it or not. Right. But now he was going to manipulate the situation to get exactly what he needed. And and that could very well be it. That could be one of the rules that that binds him that one like he's not as uh, I guess he, he even says, I'm not a god. I'm mortal. I will not be here. You know, I'm, I'm I live a lot longer than you do. But my time here is coming to an end. And um, so this is what I need. Uh, and, and you get the idea like, OK, in 1529. Yes, if he's thousands of years old. He was probably not far off coming to an end back then, you know? Right. I don't know Stephen King's um, religious beliefs or persuasions, but but it's very interesting to me how, how much this has a, a Christianity theme to it where he has, they have to sacrifice their only son, right, who's an innocent in order to save all the other sinners. And I think he's gone back and forth over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's not a huge fan of religion, as I understand. But I think he is kind of a believer now, if I'm not mistaken. And his daughter is a pastor as well, currently. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. I don't the- know. But I think he's kind of, uh, I think it's more he's a believer in some kind of cosmic force. And you can God. see that. In his work, because if you look at the mist, um, the sort of religious, the, 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 the religious character there is probably the, the, is definitely the antagonist, the villain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this one, his main character is throwing out quotes from the Bible, you know, and, and, <laughs> and nailing them every step of the way for the situation mm-hmm. to the point that he's even getting one up on the pastor, on, on, the, on the actual pastor. So I think you can see that shift in in his work about how he goes back and forth. And it would take someone with a familiarity with those texts to be able to pull all of this stuff. You don't have all of these scriptures at your beck and call unless you kind of have a background with that. And and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and speaking of the scriptures, I mean, I love the incorporation. You guys mentioned Roanoke, but, but Mark chapter five, where there's the, legion and the guy in the, the tombs who's yeah afflicted we've talked about it a lot this year with the yeah. super cool even yeah. in the last episode right with possession and yeah and i mean i that's father amorth yeah that's like a true real uh, for me as a believer in the bible and the things in the bible for me that's like real life horror and it's that's super scary to me i think that'd make a great horror film so i love that that's tied into this but in I it, think it's almost underused because I think that line, I agree with you, that line, we are legion is maybe the scariest thing I can ever imagine. You know, seriously. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's it not the line you want to hear into my heart. Yeah. You don't want to hear anybody say that to you. No. Right. And it's cool because, you know, that in the, the Bible, those spirits were cast into swine. They ran down into the sea and were choked. And, and that's exactly how he was talking about doing away with them was running them into the sea. You always got to sneak the pigs in there, don't you, Jay? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a pig element in this as well. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, they they have the Job story, as we've mentioned a couple of times, but these are not exact parallels, but I do think he was definitely taking, there was a King Solomon vibe when he was presenting them with their options. Oh, yeah. And there's also a very Abrahamic element to all of this, where yes. they're, 
uh, being asked to sacrifice their children. And I think right. all of that was definitely intentional. Yeah. And, and what's cool is, you know, Tim Daly's Mike Anderson character was just not, he was not willing, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't willing like Abraham was willing. And I think that, yeah. That's interesting. Again, this is a reversal. You're sacrificing your child to the devil, essentially, rather than right, right, for God. Yeah, I do think that's a lot to ask God. Of course, and 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 in addition to the Christian themes, I think there's another theme in this, which is um, kids ruin marriage, Um, because that's (laughs) that's what happens in this film. Um, But I love how dark this is, especially the death of a child, which is. a serious thing, you know, that we've it, seen in this one, though, it's not even the death of a child. It's the absence of a child, mm. um, a child who, who, you now know will never be, it's, you know, right. you, they, they could sit there and go, okay, well, not only is this child going to outlive us as most children do, this child is going to outlive, um, everybody on earth at this moment and everybody on earth a hundred years from now and 200 years from now that this child is going to become like, uh, you know, Linoge. Um, but there's no comfort in it. And I, I, that's why I really did like that moment at the end mm-hmm. where they had that little, uh, and it, it's, it's very contrived. It really is. But to have that little moment where you see that and you see that your child is no longer your child and, yeah. and you know, couldn't care less about you anymore. Um, probably still remembers you, but couldn't at this point in time, I and mean, we're only talking 10 years, but couldn't care less. Um, I thought that was really a, a strong moment. Yeah, the fact that he becomes a demon, um, apparently, is really what scares me on a deep level. Because since since he did adopt the child and is presumably taking him to do this devilish work, I would. It's not like okay, I'm not gonna have my child in this life, but in the afterlife for those like me who believe in that. I'll get to be with him in in heaven, quote unquote. Well, in this, you'd worry that your child's soul is permanently gone. That 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 hell is now his domain, and right. that is exactly where he would want to be. It's unthinkable. It really. And is. I think my assumption as a viewer would be, oh well, he's still going to be a human child, even if he becomes, you know, the footman for this demon but just like in dreamcatcher which we'll see the these characters are able to transfer their powers so essentially like he becomes an actual demon at least of the same sort that linoge is which is interesting that's my least favorite by the way effect in this entire film even more than born in sin and even more than i'm a little teapot i'm really annoyed by the vampire hiss in this with the fangs and the yeah like it's it's done really poorly i think they could have gotten away with just doing the eyes i think the, the eyes, eyes would have been enough great. to sell it yeah that, that would have been one enough of the to effects sell it. where it's like wow that was a visual effect and it really worked that's all it needed as you can see it, it um right fade out and back to a regular eye i thought that looked really great i also mm-hmm. i don't know if if you guys thought this or if the copies that you watch it on held up but I really love the shot of him flying up into the sky at the end, mm-hmm. especially like when it cut back to it. I thought that looks freaky. Like if this was yeah. like a witch movie or something, yeah. like that is a scary image of this guy going up into the dark with his cape flapping. I thought that looks really good. Agreed. Yeah. I love yeah, that. Good. 
Yeah, the the last two comments I have on this is um I I wanted when the parents okay, in the big meeting, I know that there was a lot of build up to prepare it for this, but I just felt like as a parent, I I just wouldn't be so willing to to like risk it, but but what makes me kind of okay with it in this movie is they were probably banking on the odds that, you know, well, I got a one out of eight chance. And so maybe, you know, you know, maybe I'll just get off the hook on this. But I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't do it. I don't know about you guys, but I, I couldn't, I'd be like, no, go to hell. No, it would have been like <laughs> okay. a yeah. flight, whatever. It would have been like, let's rush them, you know, like that's right. that yeah. Been my, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, 93, exactly. flight 93, exactly. Yeah, thank you, yes. And the final thing is um, for me that I, I just love how dark this film is. It has the, it, it, it has the guts to, to do it, to totally go there and, and take his kid and, and destroy this happy, loving marriage. And yeah, exactly. I mean, cause you're thinking this is a made for TV movie from 1999 and, and uh, you're thinking, okay, well how, where's the happy ending here? I mean, where, how are they going to stop what's going on? Or, you know, maybe, I mean, thinking that maybe at the time more than now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It does not, it doesn't let them off the hook. Yep, true, true horror. All right, anything else for I, the spoilers? Uh, I just there's the one scene that's abortion related where he takes control of this young woman and has her slash her boyfriend to death. Like to me, that was super scary. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see a lot more. I wish there were a lot more of that type of scene because I thought that was really well done. And what was in yeah, well, and what was really well done about it was. He tried to go the other way. He tried to have yeah. the boy mm-hmm. kill her and the and the guy just couldn't do it. And and then you hear the character say, you know, she's right. You really are a weak or a really, are, you know, whatever. So yeah. it's like, fine. So he gets her <laughs> right. to go in and kill him. He just needed that murder mm-hmm. to move to the next step of what it was he was doing. And he didn't care who it was. And I think that's where the evil truly lies is that he doesn't care about any of these people. For him, he could have, if it was up to him, you'd think he almost would get rid of them all and take the child. But he's bound by these rules, and that's why he has to play the game the way he's playing it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the thing that we haven't said that we alluded to in the non-spoiler section, the happening bird box. Yeah. We have these suicides right. that I think are done better in like the happening and, and bird box, but I, they are still pretty unsettling. Here as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah freaky all right well that's the spoiler section for storm of the century my final question before we do the outro smut is um are you guys seeing glass this weekend because as we're recording this glass is about to release and i'm really nervous because i've been hearing very troublesome things i'm looking forward to it i, I don't know if i'm going to get a chance to see it this weekend i always work every weekend um, usually Friday through Monday, but hopefully I will get a chance to see it. If not this weekend, then the following weekend. Okay. Yeah, I'm going Saturday. What about you, Josh? I don't know if you want to read any reviews before you go in, Jay, but I would I would look at Scott Wampler's reaction. I saw that. Yeah, I like what he had to say about it. He seemed excited, and that gives me hope. You know I'm a, I'm a Shyamalan apologist. I, I love 
him. I mean, he did my all-time favorite film, The Village. So I, I'm always rooting for him every single time, and I'm rooting now. Right. I'm going to see it Saturday. I cannot wait. So anyways. Nice. He's <laughs> done more good movies. He did four, I think, four really bad movies, but I think everything else has been quality. Even the ones I didn't love. Like, I wasn't a big fan of Signs, but I think it was still good, and I think mm-hmm. his higher-level films, I think, really good so i'm excited yeah me too all right everybody that just about wraps up episode 166 of horror movie podcast this is our stephen king episode it was the sequel to it <laughs> part two that's right part two electric boogaloo anyways we thank you for listening we're <laughs> glad that you were here and we hope you had a good time and um just want to thank everybody who supports movie podcast network and horror movie podcast we truly appreciate all of you for your support and um before we head out dr shock why don't you tell the listeners where they can catch up with more of your work Alrighty, uh dvdinfatuation.com um i have my 2500 reviews out there and uh i will be adding more uh sporadically uh, from this point forward, but I do have uh, more that will be posted um, at DVD Infatuation on Twitter, uh, also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can also hear me on other podcasts. We deal in lead, the Westerns podcast, uh, the Universal Monsters cast, which will be returning in 2019, and the Land of the Creeps uh, podcast with uh, Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, Justin Beam, and a slew of uh, guest stars. Um, uh, in upcoming episodes, they just did their top 10, uh, which I was not part of, but which uh, is very interesting. And um, Greg ha- is uh, has some great ideas uh, for shows going forward. And that's at uh, landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Awesome. Okay. And Wolfman Josh. Yeah, I wanted to mention to our Universal Monsters cast listeners, um, I did figure out the feed issues, the malware. We're basically just skipping the website, and we're going to operate directly from the feed for the first little while just so we can get back on our feet and going. But Libsyn does provide a site, I guess, automatically. So if you want, you could go and leave comments there. But in the meantime you can just hit us up on social media we have already recorded the next episode that we'll release so look for that soon the only hold up is that um, Sundance Film Festival starting next week and I'm going to be at that a lot and um, Kagan is as well who is our producer for Universal Monsters cast so that may delay the release until February but I'm going to try to get it up in January if possible but latest it will be up is February so we will be back at it very soon um, you can find me on social media at Icarus Arts I'm on Facebook, Instagram Letterboxd and Twitter and yeah just keeping it real <laughs> <laughs> alright that's great and by the way Josh if you need help with um, the, the lips and feed stuff my wife and I do that all the time for our little side podcasting business. Be happy to help. Okay. I, I just actually, my wife is doing her own podcast now, so I just did it for hers oh, cool. first. And then that um, helped me figure out how I was going to handle Universal Monsters. Nice. Can you say what, what her podcast subject is? 
it's not like really for this audience so okay um, it's it's kind of like uh it's for the ladies um nice. it, it doesn't have to be but it can, it's the podcast is gender neutral but it is it is specifically focused toward women and um it's kind of like a self-improvement podcast she's like really big on like self-improvement literature and she's done basically enough research that she could be a licensed therapist but she's not because she has another job that she really likes Mm -hmm. so she um she has weirdly kind of ended up acting as a therapist to a lot of our friends and and she's she considered starting her own coaching business but she just did you know has kind of like a weird negative connotation like uh you know life coaches or whatever so she just decided well maybe i'll just uh do a podcast instead so that's what she's doing with all of her knowledge oh that's amazing well tell her congrats we're really happy for her i bet she'll be great at that yeah good so far all right and as for me i hope people will check out um movie podcast weekly we're busting out the 2019 films and uh one that i recommend people check out that's uh, horror adjacent is um rust creek some people would view it as horror so i'm just putting it out there but andy and i really love that one so check it out rust creek 2019 film we'll probably talk about it more on an upcoming episode here but that's moviepodcastweekly.com all right and we love your comments we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community if you're not already as you can tell we have a wonderful group of people that we interact with and we really enjoy the entire community it's it's really nice the only person who trolls me is Juan. No, I'm just kidding. I, lo- I love Juan, and I like to troll him back a little bit. Anyways, you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. And you can find all of our episodes, that's all 166 of them, at our website at horrormoviepodcast.com as well as our back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. A few of you have reached out to me and said that you did check out those archives, and I was so grateful to hear that, and it sounded like the people enjoyed it, so thank you for checking those out. Those were two horror podcasts that are different, and they preceded this one. You can also subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We're also on Instagram. And we want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his excellent music for our Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. We also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at KaganBreitenbach.com. They're always linked in the show notes so you can find those guys. And um, I think that's it. So we thank you for listening. And we hope you join us again Sunday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.